And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! Like, share, and subscribe to keep it botched up, brother! What's up? This is Botching It Up Podcast, episode 16. As always, you're with me, Benito, and my good pal, Basil. It's me, it's me, it's Basil Faulty. It's getting better each week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This week we're talking Wednesday Night Wars Part 1, AEW Fighter Fest versus NXT Great American Bash. And I would like you to know, Ben, that you are my friend, regardless of where we go today. This This one could get very heated, couldn't it, between the two of us. Before we get into this, I just want to clarify my views. So before you call me an AEW apologist or a fanboy, I just want us to really think about why that is the case. Because two years ago, this company didn't even exist. There's only six, seven, maybe eight members of the current roster I even knew. I don't think it's that I'm a lifelong AEW fan and I just want to defend the product. I think the situation is WWE have maybe turned me off or soured me to their product so much so I'm just desperate for anything else. And I do understand that, and I do agree with it, and that's why I watch AEW Weekly. But I maybe I'm more of a staunch critic, not because I'm necessarily a WWE fan. I want AEW to avoid being the Emperor's new clothes that TNA was and eventually died from. I think that if AEW are doing really bad things week to week, and we just gloss over it and we forget about it, that it's going to sink into rot and it's going to get worse. I want this company to be a stable competitor permanently to WWE, just in the same way that you do. But I'm not going to not see things because I want them to do the best they can. I don't think that commending them for everything, whether it's good or bad, is very conducive to them improving their business to the point where they can compete with Aurora or SmackDown. I mean, I don't commend them for everything they do. I think every week on this podcast, I say their women's division is really bad and they need to get their shit together. It's a bad situation in the current wrestling landscape after the women's revolution and just in women's sports in general that are not given more time. They don't have decent storylines and it's abysmal the way they treat them, really. So not everything AEW does, I agree with. In the same way, not everything NXT does, I disagree with. That's true. And I think that the major problem that I have, I've thought about it, I've thought it through. AEW's had a lot of bad ideas. AEW's had a lot of good ideas. The one thing that you can say to their credit is they listen to the people, they look at their own work, and they decide uh, maybe we should throw that away, maybe we should keep that, maybe we're going to change that. They are a a very well-oiled company in, in terms of actually listening to the fan response and doing something about it. That being said, there's a key, key crucial difference to me between NXT and AEW. And that is, I watch a lot of AEW stuff and these people are not trained enough. They're doing things that are hurting themselves, not physically, but in terms of what they should be wanting the the fan to see. In terms of the longevity of their character 
or the portrayal of what sort of wrestler that they want to be, they're doing a lot of things wrong. And that that is mostly where my frustrations with AEW come from. They often develop pitfalls in their own characters, right? Yeah, but I mean, but it's not even just psychology. It's largely the wrestling. I on this show more than way more than NXT. NXT can have the most boring match in the world, but on AEW Fighter Fest Night One, I saw some really bad basic wrestling. Yeah, for sure, and we'll we'll get into the wrestling in a minute because I think if we talk about this Wednesday Night War creatively, we're going to have a very different conversation. I think we're going to very much agree on most things. My main I don't know, anger or annoyance towards what's going in is all the politics. AEW have planned Fighter Fest with over a month's build. And it's meant to be a pay-per-view, right? But however you want to sell it, whether they did it for the fans or they did it because they realized they weren't going to sell many pay-per-views, however you want to sell it, they've decided to do it on TV. Uh, two weeks before this all happened, conveniently, NXT are doing the exact same thing over the same two weeks, which is obviously just uh, counter-booking. Yeah. I, right. I definitely believe that it is a counterbooking. I don't think that they would have run this show, especially not the great American bash, which was created by Dusty Rhodes, if uh, Cody wasn't doing Fighter Fest. My point being is, as a fan of wrestling and both these shows, I would much rather them do their separate thing, book their own shows, and both put on fantastic shows, and we can decide that was a better show this week or that was a better show rather than them doing these underhanded tactics, which I feel makes both of their shows worse than what they could be. And I see your perspective as a pure fan of wanting to watch the best wrestling has to offer on a weekly basis from both promotions. But we cannot forget here that since the inception of conception of AEW, Cody Rhodes and the Elite and Omega and the Young Bucks and Tony Khan have called out WWE and NXT and Triple H continually. I do not see why Triple H is suddenly the bad guy for literally just creating the same thing as Cody and going head to head with them. Um, I mean, for example, on this show, night one tonight, Taz saying that they're not part of a sloppy shop is one thing. MJF literally saying we're in the middle of a Wednesday night war is another. I don't see that, apart from NXT being the corporate entity, I don't see why they're in any less need or want to compete against AEW on Wednesday night when AEW, Cody Rhodes, and everybody else involved has made it quite clear that they want to hurt NXT. And I agree. I prefer the AEW products. I prefer watching each and every week, but I wish they would keep NXT out of their mouth. I don't enjoy the attacks. I don't enjoy... I hated the throne thing. It was funny for a second, and then when you realized exactly what Cody was doing, I thought it was childish and stupid. I mean, we'll get to it later, but the, the, the Taz promo I did like. I did like the Taz promo too. But like you said, the MGF line, again, it was clever, and for a second it was quite funny, but then when you realize exactly why he said it, how he said it, it's not necessary, and it just harms both their products. And then NXT have done what they've done. They use the name, they've used Dusty Stuffs as an attack on Cody. All of this stuff is no benefit for the actual core audience. But it's AEW that needs to step up here and say, we're not doing this anymore because Triple H has got unlimited funds behind him. If AEW starts winning in the so-called Wednesday Night Wars, AEW, uh, Triple H causes, calls Vince. He says, hey, can I get Randy Orton over? Vince says, yeah, sure. Demolish that little clown company. 
So Randy Orton comes in, demolishes AEW. This is not a fight worth picking, and Cody Rhodes is being very dogmatic about picking it. AEW should, more than NXT, concentrate on their own thing and not allow NXT to get to them. Because Triple H has got the funds, the wrestlers, and the copyrights. He's got everything. So if they really want to pick a fight with Triple H, Triple H will say, yeah, sure, we'll have a fight. But it's it's in no way conducive to a good product for AEW. It's fine for NXT. They don't care. They can lose all of the followers in the world. They'll just go back on the network. They'll start building up a brand again. AEW, this is make or break. They, they can't lower themselves to concentrate on getting pissed off about Triple H using Cody's daddy's gimmick. They have to ignore NXT and whatever NXT is doing and go straight for the jugular. The problem with Cody is this is personal because this is all about his family, right? WWE own his dad. They own his surname. I feel like maybe it's up to AEW to rein Cody in because Cody's never going to stop doing this. He wants the copyrights and then WWE use corporate bullshit to keep the copyrights, to keep his family name and to keep owning his father. Cody's just going to use the corporate entity that he has to try and win that. It's like a separate war than the actual television ratings. You've hit the nail on the head of something that I criticize every single week on this podcast. It's the thing that most needs to be addressed. You said that Cody Rhodes needs to be reined in by someone. Who is reining anyone in on this show? This is the reason that the wrestling is bad. This is the reason that the big men don't realize that they're big men. This is the reason that the promos are taking shots at NXT and people are working with whoever they want and Kenny Omega is not jobbing out to anyone so he looks like a loser and the Young Bucks are telling us that they're at the top of their game despite the fact that nobody's really enjoying their run. This is the whole problem, the total and utter problem of AEW which could eventually cause their demise and that is as much as they want to pertain to having a freedom and any guy can run over, well, we saw that with WCW. Hulk Hogan, Scott, St- Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, they all came over. Six Pack, uh, Scott Steiner came over. It was a free haven for people that wanted to be away from WWE. And what happened to that? The wrestlers killed the company because there was no one in charge to say no. I don't think it's as dire as that yet. But the, the rot's already setting in. Sure. This is what I'm passionate about. This is... Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. But I, but saying that, I, I still feel all the shots that AEW take, all the slander and the, and the lines that maybe Cody is sneaking into scripts, I still feel AEW are running the storylines they want to run, whereas NXT is changing up their storylines every two to three weeks to try and outbook AEW or try to do something better and more so i i think there's only been one storyline in nxt this year that i've thoroughly enjoyed everything else has only been good at best and yet nxt are the people that are landing on their feet that's this is majorly where we disagree i would agree that AEW have followed their storylines through as best they can through a pandemic and they actually have a plan and the matches make sense and that's what they're going for and um, I've been told, because I refuse to watch the stupid show, that on Being the Elite, they're still teasing Paige and Omega and the Young Bucks, and Young Bucks and Omega eventually turning heel against Paige. 
and they, they are building things. Which is my favorite story in, in wrestling as a whole this year. But they are building things up slowly. I would agree with you. They, they're not focusing on what NXT is booking so much and they're booking their own stuff. The problem is NXT is whatever Triple H says, definitely knee-jerk booking. It's quite clear. They book something based upon what AEW are doing. They realize that AEW's women's roster is terrible and needs so much work is unbelievable. So, yeah, we have noticed recently there's more and more women's matches on NXT. But you know what? The, the whole issue with this, and the reason that we're having an argument about it, is that NXT's knee-jerk reaction bookings end up better than AEW's long-term planning. Some of the storylines. Some of the storylines are falling flat on their face, and they need to give them up. Fighter Fest Night 2 versus the Great American Bash Night 2. You've got uh, Keith Lee and Adam Cole for a winner-takes-all, and you've got Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. I know which one I'm watching first. I, I disagree. I'm more excited for the AEW card. Not so much for the Chris Jericho-Orange Cassidy match, but the uh, eight-man tag, which I know you hate. The Lance Archer-Joey Janela, which I think could be interesting. And You want to watch Lance Archer-Joey Janela? Only because I'm hoping Lance Archer is going to get like a second lightning bolt up his ass. I mean, this is another thing, man. This is, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this by going down the shows. They seem, in AEW, they seem to be creating stars, putting them on the burner, not knowing what to do with them, and then throwing them out blind as a goose. I think that's just generally because their roster is too big. Every time NXT de-push a star or a group and people start grumbling, they've already got five, six guys coming up. There's a constant chain. Maybe because NXT, the whole point of NXT is to churn out wrestlers for Raw and SmackDown, but they're so good at it. If somebody's um, getting a, a deep push or being thrown by the wayside a little bit, it's a good chance that they've got nothing left for them in NXT and they're about to go up to Raw or SmackDown. When there's a deep push or a sideways effect in AEW, people just get lost. I remember two months ago where I thought Lance Archer was a massive deal. I don't really understand or care why he's on my TV anymore. And apparently he's facing Joey Janela, yeah, he- who has had the most inconsistent booking of pretty much any wrestler I can think of since AEW started. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you that this is one of the big issues with AEW. I was, I was just saying AEW are keeping to their plan where it just feels like NXT are changing their plan up every two weeks. And that's frustrating as just a fan, just wanting to watch a good show. Yeah, I, I would agree separate from AEW nothing to do with the way that they're going against each other and what is shaping the booking that nxt has taken a slight decline in the last year or two it's it's not quite the level that it used to be and i think that the in your house pay-per-view showed that yeah for sure i'm gonna i'm just gonna put it like this it depends how we are grading these shows if we're just talking wrestling ability nxt won this week if we're talking about creative storylines and excitement, AEW won this week. So it depends on what you care about more, I think. I wouldn't even say that AEW won on excitement this week, though. I think AEW, personally speaking, won on the excitement that they are AEW. It's quite clear uh, AEW's aesthetic wins every single week. AEW's in a beautiful arena. They dress things up properly. They have great camera shots. Everything looks good. 
but is that the excitement because i'm not feeling the excitement in ftr getting beach chairs and having a sit down or orange cassidy having a snooze a meter away from his opponent in the main event next week not feeling that excitement whatsoever and then i've got nxt where i go into a match that i really am not looking forward to for example we'll get into it but roderick stong versus dexter loomis i didn't want to see a strap match from two from Dexter Loomis, who I don't think can work that well, from Roderick Strong, who's not been heated for months, based upon this whole storyline was based upon uh, Dexter Loomis throwing Roderick Strong in a boot. Like it's it's ridiculous, and yet they worked it. They told told it seriously, and that's the key point, man. They try to tell their stories in NXT seriously. And that that match ended up becoming quite fun. But you kind of proved my point that AEW through storylines had more hype going into their show than NXT. Apart from the main event, I was not excited for anything going into this night one of the Great American Bash. But because of the wrestlers themselves, the matches were better than AEW. So my point being here is, depending on how we grade these shows, the NXT roster is better than AEW's roster but the AEW booking team is better, or their hype machine, whatever, is better than NXT's. Their hype machine is definitely better, but I haven't seen a decent AEW payoff for a while. Uh, their last pay-per-view was all right. I enjoyed the last pay-per-view. Anyway, so which, which show you want to start with first, NXT if or AEW? I th- I th- <laughs> well, I watched AEW first, but you would have watched NXT first, I watched right? NXT first, yeah. Let's start with NXT first. I'll get angry, and then you can get angry. Okay. Um, so right off the bat, I just wanted to note that if you had any further need to believe that this was um, set up last moment purely to piss Cody Rhodes off, it's the two random cars with bumper stickers to signify that it's a television pay-per-view. Uh, we also want to address that the very opening package showed all contemporary footage apart from several images of dusty roads and that was the only 90s footage that was included that was that was a deliberate low blow oh yeah and what they even they made the commentators uh, mention dusty several times throughout the opening of the show but just they they couldn't have put any less effort into the set decoration if they tried and people would say maybe that's old that's just wwe now but it almost felt like they were purposely not bothering with uh, making this look anything other than a normal week of NXT with two cars next to it. Well, yeah, it was two cars and a banner, right? Just, that was that was the only difference. But it almost felt like it was it was uh, being done like that to rub it in. Like we don't even have to try, but we've got your daddy's gimmick. <laughs> True, right? So the opening match was a women's elimination fatal four way. Did and didn't like this match at the same time. I thought it was a slow start, and then. When we got down to the final two, it was actually a really good match. Yeah, I enjoyed this match. Uh, I didn't realize that it would end up going so long. It was definitely a better match than the tag team six-man from the pay-per-view. They didn't do a very good job of letting me know this is an elimination match, apparently. and The main thing that I have an issue with in this whole booking of, of these, these ladies is supposedly at the center stage of the actual pay-per-view of In Your House, and this night one of Great American Bash and several other weekly episodes for the last two months. Maya Yim and Candice LeRae are the ones at the center stage. And yet, I know we're getting the actual match next week, but for two, two, three months, 
they've been in the actual ring for like uh, five minutes. The longest that they were in a ring wasn't in either the In Your House pay-per-view or the Great American Bash. And then they barely touch each other anyway. Yeah. I, it's very, very strange. And then obviously, I know I'm jumping the gun, but the winner is Tegan Knox, which came out of, out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, I've been watching NXT solidly for about six months now, and I really don't know who she is apart from Filler. Which I like and I don't like. See, my main problem with this match is it feels like since the last couple of um, big events, the women's division has been a little bit like uh, like Lego bricks. We can take one girl out and put another woman in. Uh, here and there and it feels like there's only been those two women that have really had momentum behind them for at least a month or so now this is head and shoulders better than AEW's women's roster I would just say I would like say Tegan Knox they want to give Tegan Knox the push it would be nicer for a couple of weeks she's actually has a bit more screen time yeah oh I mean I would agree with you I do know that they've had a Tegan Knox Dakota Kai secondary feud going through quite a lot of the shows but it always it always played second fiddle to the Mayim Candice LeRae. And in both essences of the six-man tag and this tag this week, they really make very little to no effort to think of Dakota Guy versus Tegan Knox as anything other than, oh, Mayim and Candice LeRae have gone again. Now we've got some people to just sort of you can carry on watching, guys. You know, it they feel secondary then they have felt secondary throughout the whole thing so when tegan Knox wins and they have a very decent 12 minute match by themselves I, does anybody really care didn't really care about the two people at the end of the match but i thought the match was twice as good when it became just a one-on-one match oh yeah definitely and and i watched nxt and aw back to back a lot more than you did i think i watched one the night before and the one the day after so i saw them pretty close and this is miles give or take star power this was miles ahead of the opener of fire uh, we'll get to that match later in ring quality yes it was but yeah we'll get to it no, it was a cool match. And I just hope Tegan Knox actually gets a real cool push and then we end up with a really cool match with Io Shirai down the line. I mean, to your point, though, you, you keep saying to me that NXT are tactically using the women because AEW's women's division is so bad. And in this match, it does feel like a lot of girls are thrown out undercooked. Like Their characters are never really developed necessarily and storylines don't necessarily go anywhere. Well, yeah, you like you said, Tegan Knox is now number one contender. We hardly know who she is. We know who she is in ring, but we don't know who her character is. Yeah, and it, so to defend your point for a second, it does feel like they throw women out to have good women's matches because they know that uh, the other side hasn't got that and therefore they don't really need to put the effort in of especially building the characters any much further. Yeah, it's an easy one-up. Uh, so after this match, we get a Damian Priest promo. He is involved in a story with Cameron Grimes, which only started last week. It's a boring story, and this was a boring promo. Very boring promo. I do think, though, that Damian Priest has got all the tools. It just doesn't seem to be able to click. I, I mean, I thought it was a very dull baby face promo from someone that has tons of like locked charisma. I hate him as a baby face as well. I think he would be miles better if he goes back to being heel. Yeah, I would agree with you, but there's something in Damien Priest that I can see that is just not coming out. I don't know whether it's his character or the opponents that he's given, but uh, for example, that Finn Balor-Damien Priest match in your in your house was really, really great. 
And when he talks, the promo itself is boring, but he's got a fire in his eyes. And it seems boring because he doesn't put any effort into it. I really do think that in an alternate universe with a different character and maybe a different set of booking, Damien Priest could be a big deal. So I think he's being held back. I don't know why, for what reason. But when he was in Ring of Honor, um, he became, I want to say, TV champion. And while he had a run with that belt, he was on fire. And he was, you, you know, Ring of Honor, all the guys are a bit smaller. So he was he, he looked bigger and he was just destroying. He was just murking everyone. And he looked like an absolute champion. He's not the same guy here. I don't know what's happened. I don't know if he's being held back or he's not allowed to do some of the stuff he did on the indies. It's also just early 90s wrestler 101, isn't it, really? Damien Priest, the archer of infamy. And he has to embarrassingly take a little um, pretend bow and arrow and shoot his name into the Titantron. It's just lame. And it, it's he's another guy like Baron Corbin. In real life, Baron Corbin looks like a badass. You know, he's got the he's got the neck tattoos. He's got the the Rolex watches. He looks cool, and I think Damien Priest about the same size, kind of the same sort of dude. And yet they're given these awful gimmicks, and they have to try and make them work. That's where Damien Priest is for me. And then after this, we've got Bailey and Sasha Banks uh, warming up for their title match backstage. Um, this is kind of a nothing promo again. I guess it does what it needs to do, hyping up the main event. You seem to be throwing away the fact that they're actually building matches, Ben. Uh, all right. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, you're telling me that NXT is on the fly booking, but I'd rather see promos building up matches that I know I'm going to yeah, see in the next two weeks. Yeah, but not. they're building up on the show. They're building up to the main event like an hour before it happens rather than building up to it three weeks before it happens. Sorry, why do I care about private party versus Santana and Waters? Well, at least, they, at least they're trying. <laughs> this is going to go out. <laughs> I, I liked the promos on this show. You're telling me that it's slapdash booking because they hadn't really booked up these matches anyway. But I like when either on the same show or the show for the next week, they tell me what the main event is and why it matters. I think that's basic 101 wrestling I don't think they told you why it mattered for any other reason than, oh, this is Sasha Banks, yay. I was thinking more of the Adam Cole. Then the next match is Timothy Thatcher versus Oni Larkin. Now, before we get into it, I did like this match. Just for the sake of having a criticism, I would say... It was a weird position and I would put it higher up the card because it was a very unique match, very different from anything we see. And I don't think it should have been the second match on the card. Other than that, I fucking loved it. This was also this was my favorite match of the week. And I echo your criticisms. Um, this was not advertised. If this was advertised and it, they had told me about it last week, as opposed to telling me about something I didn't really care about, like the strap match, then I genuinely believe that more people like me would have eyes on this product. They did one promo with Timothy Thatcher. I don't know if he named um, Only Larkin, but he did say, "I'm gonna, I'm you know, I'm gonna have a, just a straight up submission fight with someone." He's been having these weird skits where he's in a dark room and he's like Matt wrestling trainees. I really uh, love those skits. They're very, very creepy and cool, and I think they're yeah. really his character. 
they're cool. So they're building Timothy Thatcher really, really well. But again, they still haven't really built to this match. No, I don't understand why this wasn't advertised at some point because obviously um, Thatcher, his last match on TV was the fight pit with Matt Riddle. He hasn't done anything since apart from those skits. And obviously when in a couple of weeks when a guy's not fighting and he's just got vignettes, that means that they're building him up. So it should be a big deal when he's got a match, even if they don't announce his opponent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the match was great. When was the last time you saw a short arm scissors? A ton of mount wrestling, a ton of submission. It was completely different to what we're used to seeing. It was a lot of fun. And I loved the fact that they, uh, they're wearing simple tights, red and blue. There's no frills. It's a, a test of wits, skill and strength between two men. And this is what I want in wrestling. Blistering chops and punches mixed with hard catch wrestling, technical ability. It's exactly the reason I love FTR. This match actually kept me watching through the picture in picture. <laughs> I think um, Timothy Thatcher could really make a uh, a great career out of this if they keep this as his gimmick. And I really think that they should give the fight bit to him because he deserves it and he suits it. Yeah, I mean, sure. But, I, I can't remember whether it was Thatcher or only Lorkin, but somebody put on a single leg crab, which is like the most basic move in wrestling. And it was right at the end of the match and it sold. I believed that somebody was going to tap from a single leg crab. That's ridiculous. Uh, l- looking at the way submissions are used now, that's something that a fan would have believed might end the match in 1978. And they managed to do it. Thatcher won this and he looked like a badass coming out of it. Did you notice on the entrances that the wrong people were being cheered and booed? They were boo- they were cheering uh, Timothy Thatcher and then they booed Oni Larkin. Oh. About a minute into the match, the crowd managed to <laughs> get it right. This crowd really says something about the future of the wrestling business. They also did uh, a, a USA chant at, on this match. I thought for a second, like, oh, is Oni Larkin not American? Are they chanting against him and then i realized oh it's just the gimmick of the pay-per-view because it's independence day right yeah i mean i still remember randy orton and edge at backlash having a really 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 great match the crowd starts chanting feuding chants of orton edge which completely destroys the babyface heel dynamic which orton and edge work so hard to do and i think they even had the goal at one point to chant fight forever it's just these guys will officially kill Jim Cornette once they get to the main roster because they, if they don't even know how to react as a crowd to a wrestling match, then there is absolutely no hope in hell for any form of psychology when they become main roster stars. Yeah, man. I thought it was such a mistake that the crowd got the cheering wrong at the beginning of that. It, it, it just it, this is again not necessarily a criticism of AEW because AEW's wrestlers, a lot of them, or well, some of them, don't seem to know what they're doing. Honestly, um, they don't really know how to sell their character properly. But then WWE's entire crowds don't know how to sell the product's character because they don't know what is good or bad. So maybe this is just a a problem within the wider wrestling industry, not just AEW. Maybe this is a thing. The lines between face and heel have been blurred so much in the last generation of wrestling that new trainees now don't are not trained to be hardcore heels or faces. Like they're being trained in that blurry mixture, and it becomes difficult to really portray yourself as one or the other. 
Well, it's like the art world, really. Like you had romanticism and then you had modernism and then you had postmodernism. And now it's what? I Nobody knows. Post-postmodernism? Nobody's well. really sure anymore. <laughs> it's sure. just, and it, it kind of feels the same way. Like, do is there a face in a hill? If there's not, how does it work? Do we know? We're not sure. <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. Uh, so after this, we get a carry and cross promo which uh, had some, like, Bray Wyatt vibes to it, I think. What did you think of this? Did you like it? I thought it was good. I thought um, some nice production values. It gave him a placement on the show without him necessarily having to turn up for no reason. Um, Slowly built towards uh, an Adam Cole match. Um, Yeah, I thought it was was fine. It It was nothing overly great i i i didn't like write down notes about it but i didn't mind it at all yeah i mean i I liked it too i don't think it was anything fantastic i really like the tarot card stuff and i hope if they continue using that in further promos or other hype videos i think that's a really good imagery for him there was a few other imagery in there that was a bit random and didn't really need to be there didn't fit but so i felt like maybe it was a bit rushed to put together but overall like you said it was a really good use of having him on the show without actually having him doing something pointless. Let me just go through this here. So we've got uh, Killer Cross. We've got The Fiend. We've got Dexter Loomis. We've got The Dark Order. Um, we've got, I'm sure, AEW wrestlers that I'm forgetting. Why? What's with the horror thing? Why is the horror wrestler now become the the new sort of big deal the the thing that both companies are striving to get right is it because the undertaker's gone or is wrestling trying to lean to a sort of darker psychological dynamic because it's become so cartoony or do you think it's just because wrestling is starting to lean towards a more adult audience so more adult themes are being i mean potentially but it already feels oversaturated and the wrestling industry doesn't seem to have the wherewithal to realize um, that they're leaning some way subtly to approach a different audience. It feels like if something is a success, everybody jumps on the bandwagon until it's dead. For sure. For sure. Bray Wyatt already feels like he's lost all that momentum he had at the end of last year. I I just find, I just found it interesting that both companies are sort of almost over-focusing on horror characters right now, because you have two alone in NXT. I, I guess it's just got to do with a more ad, uh, um, adult-based audience. It, it must be. And like you said, that they're all just trying to play with the same idea, the same themes. I don't really feel like you need a Dexter Loomis and a Killer Cross on the same show. They they run e- into each other's gimmick way more than a lot of other dark, so-called dark wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They both have the psychotic, psychopath thing going on. It's just one's quiet and one has very big teeth that's it <laughs> so after this uh, uh this is where i fell off a cliff for you isn't it <laughs> yeah after this match i actually had to turn nxt off and just i i continued the next day so uh rhea ripley versus is it a a, a layer a liar a layer yeah. with Ro- and robert stone. and robert stone in a handicap match um it was weird because it felt like it were in the middle. Alea and Ripley were having a decent match, but then bookmarked at the beginning and at the end of the match, it was just a comedy skit. I'm going to let you so, take the reins on this one because I'm going to get angry. Okay, so 
first of all, I will say that in the exact same way as Trent Baretta getting dropped off by his mum and getting a kiss on the cheek, I enjoyed uh, Robert Stone's rocky appearance with his mouth garden goggle glasses more than I should have. I disliked myself for laughing, but Robert Stone did make me laugh along with Trent Bretter. So there's something to be said about that. That being said, it is very sad to see where Rhea Ripley's gotten to on the card. That's what pisses from, me off so much. From a from a WrestleMania match with Charlotte to um, a comedy match with a, a, a character that's literally vomited accidentally to win a match. Uh, and, and they seem to Triple H actually said right that um, Rhea Ripley getting beat by Charlotte was successful for her in the long run and was actually a great idea because it a character it add more character and depth to Rhea Ripley to the point where she comes back in a couple of years and becomes unstoppable. Fuck that man! I don't, He's just saying I that to cover his own ass. Yeah, I don't agree with it either. I think that they've completely dropped the ball on Rhea Ripley. I mean, at least she's on TV. They completely dropped the ball with Shayna Baszler as well. It seems like it is true. As soon as you get a Bianca Belair, you get a good woman that's not Sasha Banks, Bailey, Charlotte, or Becky Lynch on Vince McMahon's TV show right now, and he wants nothing to do with it. And what amazes me is that with, with Rhea Ripley, they've somehow gone from a WrestleMania almost main event that people were really interested to watch. And now they're booking her like they booked the Big Show for years. Like when Big Show faced A-Train and Test or whatever, and Big Big Show would just make mincemeat out of them. But nobody really knew what Big Show was doing because he didn't have a storyline. That kind of feels how, how they're booking Rhea Ripley. And obviously... They tried to make her look a beast and they gave the double finisher and the finish was that it should be. But Alea got quite a few two counts on this. And there was one point where they came... I mean, this one, this bit was important. They came back from a break and the opening shot was Robert Stone and Alea both putting a submission in, in on Rhea Ripley that Rhea Ripley did not get out of for 10, 15 seconds. If Rhea Ripley wasn't done before, she's done now. If it, this did her no, no good. If Alea doesn't get a monster push after this, then this match was completely wasted on her. Yeah, I think Ripley's done. They, they have no idea what to do with her. They have no idea where to position Which her. Which is insane, because at WrestleMania, she had this organic monster rise, similar to Becky Lynch. She looked like she was going places, and they've completely thrown her off a cliff in the matter of two months. And I don't see a way back from it. In the same way that I've just said, they're booking her like uh, mid-card Big Show. Mid-card Big Show was stuck there for decades and he never got rid of that stink. Because once you're just part of that sort of, I don't know what even what even to call it, once you're, you're, you're part of like the mid-card stories and the gimmicks, you never leave it. Even if... You can go push her now again to the moon and she can go beat the Oshirai and everybody will look at her and think, ah, she's not as good as she used to be. The fact that they've managed to do that to her in three months is so sad. So the finish was really cool. And obviously that's going to go on our highlight reel. But this entire match should have lasted no longer than three minutes. 
Rhea Ripley should have destroyed both of them, got that double finisher that she submitted them both at the same time, looked like an absolute fucking badass. But instead, she had to put both of them over before she could get the win. And they've just cut the legs from underneath Absolutely how it should have started and finished, Ben. As you say, this should have been a monster squash, two minutes. You can even play, you can play the Robert Stone comedy up if you really want to. Like, I have no idea why this storyline is even happening. But if you really want it to happen, you can have Robert Stone running around like a, a chicken shit with goggle glasses. Only for him to, like, one punch, one move, just go straight unconscious. Rhea Ripley turns around, says, your turn, and Alea looks scared. You didn't have to make this go past two minutes, and it would have done slightly more than it did for her. Alea got a two count, okay, on, on Rhea Ripley. What are we doing here? That's what, what I'm saying. So unless she's getting a push after this, it's completely wasted on her. I've got no problem with comedy matches. We've had this discussion many times. I quite like comedy. But if you're going to have a comedy match against someone as important as Rhea Ripley, don't let them get any advantage on her. Just put it in this words. Imagine Stone Cold in a comedy match. Imagine Stone Cold versus um, Rico, right? Stone Cold would have hit one stunner, match is over. That's all that would have happened. It wouldn't have even been a match. The same thing should have happened here. We can do the fun stuff with Robert Stone, but Rhea Ripley gets in two offensive moves and Stone is done. He's out. Uh, Alaya maybe gets one or two offensive moves in, but Ripley looks strong. She gets that double finish and she looks like a badass. Well, this is the same conversation we had last week. Comedy has its place in wrestling. It always will. It's a carny business. It's a carnival. It's a circus. You can't mix comedy with serious. You can't mix comedy with the main event and you can't mix comedy for longer than a couple of minutes with somebody that isn't comedy. Exactly. That's quite clear on both shows and both shows ignore it. Yeah, AEW get it wrong as well. Exactly. Yeah, this was horrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was so bad. I got so angry with it. I, I turned the show off and I, I watched the rest of the show another time. See, I just saw it as whatever because... Um, Rhea Ripley's been playing in dumpsters with Robert Stone for a couple of weeks now. So I, I just kind of expected it. As soon as I saw it announced, I knew this was going to happen. So it didn't... I mean, I actually... I even thought at one point Rhea Ripley's uh, status had dropped so low in my head. I thought they might get the win. Oh, there, uh, I can't remember what happened. There was a move. I think I think it was that um, moment that you already mentioned when they're both locking in a submission on her at the same time. Yeah. And I thought for a second, oh fuck! Yeah, yeah same. Lose. I had the exact same reaction, but it, it didn't. I guess it didn't bother me as much as you because I'd just come off Lorcan and Thatcher, and because I kind of already expected this. I'm afraid. I I just really feel like they dropped the ball on Rhea Ripley, and it's. I really liked her. I actually wanted her to beat Charlotte, and I really wanted her to get a solid push and kind of be on the verge of moving up to the main roster about now. And it feels like she's been set back a year. Honestly, bro, I have no idea what they're doing with current women's wrestlers. You've obviously we've gone through the Rhea Ripley thing and what's happened to her. Bianca Belair stepped up to I think Charlotte or Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks at the Royal Rumble and looked like a massive star. She's on main event in five minute matches. And Shayna Baszler, Shayna Baszler is the one I do not understand. I don't know whether you remember the Elimination Chamber pay per view. But she pile drived through like six other women, five other women in seconds. 
to the point where she was standing around waiting two and a half minutes for the timer to start again. And, and after, she basically went the distance at the Rumble as well. Yeah, right. And everybody assumed that the title was going on her at WrestleMania, which apparently was originally the plan, but Vince changed his mind. Becky Lynch even asked for the belt to be given to Shayna, but Vince didn't want it. Money in the bank, she looked like a fool. She's not even on TV now. So I, I can't help but feel less sorry for Rhea Ripley when at least she's still looking powerful, even if it's powerful in front of a joke, than Shayna Baszler, who's just been dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I've got no idea what's happened there. Because you're right, Shayna was like the hardest thing going in all of women's wrestling on the entire planet. But so was Rhea Ripley. They've, that's what I'm saying. They've managed to drop the two hottest female wrestlers of 2020 into oblivion. But what's wrong with Shayna Baszler is she had two, three-year rise in NXT where she was unstoppable. I think she was even undefeated for the longest time. I might be wrong because it might be Oscar, but I think Shayna Baszler is the, if not one of, the longest reigning NXT Women's Champions. As soon as she's on the main roster, after that one WrestleMania match, she dropped off the map. The, the whole of the whole of WWE, I don't want to get into it because this is supposed to be my happy place, but the whole of WWE booking, the way they're booking Big Show against Andrade at the moment, the way they've dropped Shayna Baszler, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, Viking Raiders and Street Profits are fighting alligators and dumpsters. I, I want to go find my action figures and make my own little wrestling federation again and be six years old. Dude, don't even get me started. Uh, what are they called now? The the Ra- Viking Raiders? Oh, dude. When they were called War Machine on the independent circuit and in Japan, they were my favorite tag team in the world. They were up there with the Dudleys, some of the best tag teams ever, and they're a joke now. I can see why. On the rare occasions that they're allowed to go six minutes on Raw, I can see that they're a great, great tag team. But they're just not allowed that opportunity because they have to do skits with Tazara and a seven-foot ninja. Oh, yeah. Anyway. I want to dust off my copy of WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 2006 and just make my own fucking shows. <laughs> that could be a botching it up extra. Anyway, <laughs> let's go on to something that I think we're both pleasantly surprised about. The very... Oh, you like this too? Uh, I didn't... I wouldn't say I loved it, but it... it it beat my expectations. Um, yeah, same. So the very first ever strap match in NXT, um, Roderick Strong versus Dexter Loomis. Now, the story hasn't had a very long build uh, since um, the last pay-per-view when Roderick Strong got locked in the boot of that car. Now, you know me. I don't like a gimmick match unless there's a reason for the gimmick to be there. It, and Roderick Strong has been trying to run away from Dexter Loomis this entire month. So... Him being tied to him makes sense. And then they used the strap all the way through the match in submissions, in strikes. So actually, I kind of enjoyed it. See, the, the weird thing about WWE is you can shit on them for as long as possible. And then somehow, for no apparent reason, you have never seen a good strap match before. And they deliver two in a year. Yeah. Who knew? They'd had a great uh, Daniel Bryan fiend Royal Rumble strap match. And they, I think... Not necessarily great, but a very enjoyable Roderick Strong Dexter Loomis strap match. I didn't know that good strap matches even existed. But do you know why I think these strap matches are better than what we think they are? 
because in the 80s and 90s, the classic strap match rules were that you had to touch all of the turnbuckles. Uh, yeah, I remember that with the Shad Gaspar JTT, JTG yeah. strap match, which so lasted about three and a half minutes. So they've dropped that as the finish, and now it's just one pinfall to the finish. They just happen to be tied together, which I think works much better. Much better idea. And I was also pleasantly surprised by this match. I, I hadn't thought about the fact that it actually suits uh, the gimmick, which is a very valid point. But they managed to get a, a, a good match out of an awful angle. I thought that this might be one of the main reasons that you're upset about NXT at the moment and the way that they're currently treating Undisputed Era. I assume because Undisputed Era are about done and going oh. up. Don't get me wrong. I wish Undisputed Era were doing something more important. They're one of my favorite factions for a very long time. Uh, but my expectations of this match were beaten. Also, I, I did notice this week for the first time, I think, since coronavirus. I know that we talked about the crowd getting the reactions wrong. But they sounded louder and more enthusiastic in the NXT show than they did for the than the crowd did for the AEW show this week, which was really rare. They the PC crowd went absolutely mental for this match, but it slowly built like organically, so that they were throwing their hands against the glass, which I'm I, I'm sure that they're told to do. Yeah, one thing I really hated about this match was Dexter Loomis opened up the boot to one of the cars, and then nothing happened with it yeah i thought is this I, I originally thought that this was the whole point of having the stupid cars in the first place and then loomis was like nah they're just there. yeah they didn't they didn't do anything <laughs> with it they didn't I, I don't even think strong looked at it so it didn't play off in any which way which was really annoying so they teased the thing that this whole storyline is about and they didn't use it which was fucking annoying but whatever uh, there was a really cool Olympic slam on the stage. I got the same note. I love that Olympic slam. I think it's because it's the first time we've probably seen an Olympic slam in ages. Yeah, very long time. Um, they used the rope to do uh, clotheslines on each other, Irish whip each other, submissions, um, just whipping each other. Some brutal shots here as well. Yeah, then Bobby Fish interrupts and then he gets clotheslined by the strap, which was pretty cool. It was a good way to have uh, his interruption kind of spoiled. And then Loomis uses the strap to tie Strong up in a submission to get the win. Uh, I just love the way that they, they used it and they made it relevant. Yeah, they made it relevant. They used it to the gimmick. They administered so, like uh, brutal shots. They played into the psychology of fear using the strap, as you said. Um, and they added, I think to Loomis's character and I think that was badly needed because Loomis was like the stupid boogeyman he, he was like uh, the, the the idiot brother of Karrion Cross up until recently and I think he really needed something like this to sort of stand out and I want to see more of him now I mean it wasn't the best match ever but it was better than I expected so that's why I'm happy still better than the opening match of AEW oh fuck off one. with that Next up, we get Todd Phillips talking about the championship versus championship match next week. The follow, uh, following that is a video just of both of them talking about the match. Um, I suppose we'll get into it more on next week's podcast. But this is this is the problem I have with NXT, and I'm trying to explain it. Why does this match have to exist? For the other than the fact they don't have anything better to do with Cole. 
and they're, they're panic booking. They've put their two you, biggest stars in a match together, and it's gonna be a fucking great match. It's gonna be the whoa, best. Whoa, 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 whoa! You're talking about Adam Cole versus Keith Lee here. Yeah, I think this is a great idea. Why you're gonna isolate a championship belt? NXT are struggling to put storylines together other than the stories that are around their championships. So they're completely giving up a tool that they desperately need. Yeah, but it makes whoever wins look like a massive deal. And if it wasn't clear before the leak, it is now who's winning this match. No, no, no. My, my point is just the match is going to be fucking fantastic. I know that. It's probably going to be one of the best matches of the year. My point is that I feel the creativity of this match is fucking stupid. There's been less than a week's proper build of them two going up against each other. And they're the two biggest names in NXT. They're just being thrown together for a ratings boost. A ratings boost. Your point here is that a Keith Lee, Adam Cole, a match of that caliber should be built up all the way to the takeover before SummerSlam, right? Yeah, a six-month build would make this the best match of the year for NXT, maybe the best, most exciting match for WWE in a whole. And it's just thrown away because they want to put up a middle finger to AEW. Uh, but and this is the thing. I don't I don't necessarily agree that they want to pick up the finger up to AEW. I think that this does um a lot of good things for both guys. So hear me out here. Keith Lee has been looking good with that North American Championship. He's just hit the glass ceiling of the main event. People are behind him and it would be the exact right time to pull the trigger and give him the championship. Also, if he wins both, he looks like a badass. The, the The last person to win both championships at the same time was Becky Two Bells, and that didn't work out too badly. At the same time, you've got Adam Cole, who's been treading water for a, quite a while now, along with the Undisputed Era, who've been treading water for quite a while. Adam Cole badly needs something to be done to him. He's become a stagnant champion, and he's kind of become stagnant in NXT. What I see this as is Keith Lee winning both belts, looking like a great, great dude. Adam Cole going into a sort of goodbye feud with Killer Cross and then going on to WWE TV, hopefully with the Undisputed Era by SummerSlam. I see it as a changing the guard and I, I get that you want the build up and I get that you think this is knee jerk booking. I, I would just say that Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era have been done in NXT for a while. And this gives them a, the kick up the ass. It it gives it gives Keith Lee the rub. And otherwise, if if Adam Cole's going into a feud with Karrion Cross, you're either just not gonna have Adam Cole lose the belt and he'll go to main TV with it, or you're gonna have a really awkward transitional champion in Karrion Cross. You can't put the belt on him at this point. And I think they learned that lesson with with the fiend putting the belt on him. So I think it's a good idea. Okay, fine whatever, however you want to position the two people that are in the match. And I, I get that the story they've told is more of a, like a sporting kind of story. They had that many tournament and these two are going to go at it. And championship versus champion matches are always fun. New Japan did one at Wrestle Kingdom, but admittedly they had a six-month build before that. My point being is New Japan lost a championship belt because nobody who's going for the heavyweight championship is also going for the intercontinental championship. That intercontinental championship is now dud other than looking cool around NATO's waist in NXT. 
what is the entire mid to upper mid card division gonna do once Lee or Cole is a double champion? That and if that North American Championship is lost, I think that Keith Lee would be dropping the North American Championship belt pretty quickly. But then he looks fucking stupid. He becomes a double champion and then he loses one of the belts so quickly. You, the whole thing's become irrelevant. You've unwound the whole excitement of him being a double champion. I've learnt, I think that they've learned this new idea from Becky Lynch. Because honestly, when Becky Lynch won the two belts, everybody was amazed. And then when she lost one belt a month later, everybody was like, well, she's not that great. You know, and they saw that Becky Lynch survived it and went on to become very popular and held the belt for a long time. And they think it doesn't necessarily damage a guy. Do you think this concept was stolen from Conor McGregor? Probably. Okay, so Conor McGregor had to drop one of those belts very quickly and he lost his stock. No, His pay-per-view draws after he lost one of those belts, he had to give it up. He didn't lose it. People weren't interested because he's not defending his championships. Obviously, in wrestling, they're going to defend it and lose it. They're not just going to vacate it. You're, you're setting someone up to fail. Concerning the North American title, I think you have very valid points. It's not something I necessarily thought about too much, but I think it's worth the sacrifice of getting the belt off Cole now and getting both guys fresh, getting Cole going somewhere else, getting Keith Lee back on top. Like Obviously, these leaks could be wrong, and it could be Adam Cole winning the North American Championship from Keith Lee, in which case this is the worst idea of all time. <laughs> okay, but I, I can see why they're doing this. I can see why they're trying to transition it before something major happens again. And I think that actually this is one of the few matches which hasn't been built up on the fly. I, I feel like this has been coming for a little while because I'm pretty sure that up until a week ago, they thought that they were having a crowd at SummerSlam. Yeah, and I did. think that Adam Cole was going in to SummerSlam after having dropped the belt. And it makes more sense that Keith Lee gets it than Karrion Cross gets it. But this is really interesting that we're having this argument because you are actually arguing from my usual perspective. You realize that you're doing the Jim Cornette argument of, well, you've got these two guys and you're not even going to build them up and you've got this belt and you're just going to throw it on a dude that's already got a belt? Like You're making very valid points. I'm not uh, arguing against it. I, a double champ looks cool, and the moment is going to be great. I'm just saying NXT, 90% of NXT storylines this year have been very lackluster, and the only good ones have evolved around the belts, and they're completely throwing away a tool that they really need. But what would you, I mean, what would you do with... Cole and his NXT title right now. So how would you get that belt off him? No, I totally agree that it's time for Cole to drop the belt and move up to the main roster. I'm not against that. And I'm not against the Keith Lee-Adam Cole match. I think it's going to be an absolute war. It's going to be fantastic. All right. So after this, we go on to a series of promos. And and this is where I messaged you when I watched this. This is where I couldn't understand why you preferred the NXT show because the next 20 minutes was not entertaining for me at all. I wanted to just rip my eyeballs out. We didn't actually talk about the amazing video package that set up Keith Lee Adam Cole. This was a great idea and I didn't see it on any of AEW's television, I'm afraid. They're actually building a main event for next week. What an insane idea. Unfortunately for AEW, their main event was a little bit up in the air. They didn't know whether they were going to be able that's to do true, it. That's true. That's true. I'll give you that. 
But it, I mean, this was actually kind of even stolen from AEW's playbook again, because I've noticed a change in NXT's talking head promos, where everything's a sort of modern style with retro looking footage. And it's really, really good. Like it, it, it really built everything, all the promos that NXT have been doing over the past month. They do have a slight AEW tinge to them. And for that reason, they're doing really well. And it just made me really want to watch the watch the match. Yeah, I really like the style of talking head, informational pieces, really dissecting each other's moves, each other's abilities. It's so much better than what we used to have. Yeah, I mean, it's a very like UFC style, I think, of of building up to a match. And it works. It's, it's engaging and it's, it's fun to watch. Right, so after that, we're backstage with uh, Gargano and Candice LeRae. Candice is complaining that she got ganged up on on the opening match. And then she sees Mia Kim in the hallway and starts to brawl with her. Johnny Gargano doesn't break it up, but then some guy I've never heard of. I've got his name here. Somewhere. Oh, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Scott. Yeah. Um, He's a cruiserweight. The Swerve. Yeah, Swerve Scott. <laughs> um, so he comes in and he starts picking a fight with Gargano. Now, uh, I don't know how to word this without being particularly rude. Keep... Keith Lee has been dropped from this story because he's got more important things to do, right? So the way NXT have portrayed this is that Maya Kim has a lot of male friends backstage that are willing to have her back, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, I think Maya Yim is kind of portrayed as one of the boys. I I think that's where we're Okay, that's not how it came across because this whole... I thought her and Keith Lee were an item because I thought it was couple versus couple. It was a bit strange and it was kind of like, it did feel a little bit like, oh, where's that other black guy? He must be Keith Lee's friend. Put him in the segment. You know, it it was because Isaiah Scott Scott is a great wrestler. He's never, as far as I've watched back, he has never been involved whatsoever with uh, Maya Yim or Keith Lee at all. I've hated this story since day one. I thought it was stupid that I hate this is the problem with main roster women's storylines. So we always joke about that. It's always revolving about who's best friends with who. In the same way, I really hate couple storylines or like romantic fighting over a girlfriend storyline. And it just feels like Mia Kim Yim. now has, sorry, sorry. <laughs> she, she now has a new boyfriend to, to fight for her. Well, no, I don't think that's the thing. Cause every, like they, they're aware that fans know that in reality, Keith Lee and Maya Yim, are in a relationship I, I don't think that they would have thrown that stuff away within two to three weeks and just had scott turn up i, I it did feel really awkward but he did just turn up he came out of nowhere i didn't even know who he was yeah i mean it it, it did feel very awkward it it felt a little bit unnecessary like i don't understand why they needed swerve scott to just happen to be walking backstage instead of just getting another referee to hold someone back or whatever but you know, whatever. It, I mean, it didn't it didn't bother me too much. I've been down on the storyline since the beginning, so I think it's just like piling onto a shit story. They had a really good intergender tag match, which I was actually surprised by on NXT a couple of weeks ago. But that was the high point of the whole feud. Yeah, I haven't enjoyed this either. So they're having a street fight next week. About time. Like Mia Yim or Candice LeRae. And I hope this is the blow off to the whole story and both can just go do something else. And that's the thing, man. Like they've tried 
this story for so long they've been trying to throw us this but they never seem to do it properly so the the point now where we're finally getting a singles female match i don't care I, i've wanted to start and finish and be over with as you say so that both people can go do something else They've made it a crucial point of the women's mid-card that these two are going against each other, and they've made that sort of the most important mid-card women's match, and yet they never give it us. I don't know, to tease this? Like, they, both women are in the ring all the time together for about three or four minutes, and then they run away. I just thought to myself, like, why, why are they not fighting? Okay, they're not fighting. Like, they haven't yeah. grabbed me at all. That It's not something I want to see. There's never any real intensity there. Okay, so the second of three promos that really got to me was uh, Santos. Santo or Santos Escobar came out. Santos. He looks great. He sounds great. He's a really good heel. My problem here, again, this is my problem. The workers are putting on a real good job and they're doing the best of what they got. But the creative are really fucking them up. Because he, what he's, the way he said everything, the way he portrayed himself was fantastic. His actual script was ridiculously stupid. So it's all about how he wants to make Lucha Libre important again because Lucha's used to be icons, movie stars, legends. He wants to reestablish Lucha, bring back some importance to those words. But his first step in doing that was taking his fucking mask off. Uh, yeah, I knew you were going to say this. Um... This is ridiculous, man. You can't script that when... Like literally a week ago, he took his mask off because it's contradictory and it's. But he looked maybe, great. It was just the script that was stupid. Maybe he wanted to bring Lucha Libre into the 21st century. But Lucha Libre, real Lucha Libre in the 21st century, the masks are just as important as they've ever been. In fact, losing your mask is a great sign of disrespect. And he unmasked himself. Also, well done to the PC crowd for uh, when him saying Lucha Libre is not just flips and stuff. They go, yes, it is, and start chanting, that's Lucha Libre. Why are the Performance Center crowd trying to get themselves over? I guess that's because he's a heel and they just have to they just have to chant against him no matter what. So you're insulting Rey Mysterio? No, yeah, exactly. They're, they're insulting an entire genre of wrestling. Because I guarantee that I don't think that they would be chanting that if if Ray or Eddie were in that ring. Or like the number one chant on the main roster is just Lucha, Lucha, Lucha when the house party come out. This this crowd actually annoyed me more than pretty much anything on the show. This crowd were all over the place. They got loud when they needed to and that added to the match. But they made some stupid uh, comments on this show and it seemed... Purely to, to like you know when you've got a particular crowd like in Chicago or something who are overtly obnoxious because they want to do the anti of whatever Vince is trying to give them. Yeah, I don't really understand why you have somehow ended up with your own performance center trainees doing that to your product. <laughs> Maybe they're just so pissed off with the uh, Corona situation they've turned heel on Vince. It's probably because they're not allowed to sit on a chair, honestly. God, I mean, if I had to stand up for... I mean, I do stand up for seven hours in my job, but... You get paid for that. These guys get paid, no? No, they don't get paid. I don't think so. Fucking hell. You're not even... They're not even allowed water, mate. (laughs) It is, like, really shit working um, environment for them. Yeah. 
But I mean, um, I can't sit down when I do my job. I physically, you can't do it sitting down. They could be sitting down. There's no need for them to be standing. I, I mean, it's a cult. <laughs> right, let's finish off with this bit. Drake Maverick runs out, uh, gets beaten up by the henchmen immediately. Brizango run out to make the save. We set up a six-man tag. The whole segment was fine. It sets up a match. It was good. It did what it needed to do. The, the, the script was stupid, and it cut the legs out from this new character. But uh, See, you you didn't even you didn't even mention the criticism that I actually had for this segment. It, it's actually been quite informative uh, going through this show with you because I am starting to see the issues with this show that I didn't see at the start. My problem with it was that Breezango turning up out of nowhere for no apparent reason apart from the fact that Santos Escobar's got henchmen. Uh, Brizango has never had any affiliation with Santos Escobar. They've never had any affiliation with Drake Maverick. And it kind of felt like, oh, they didn't have anything to do and we need to get Santos Escobar's henchmen on TV so that we can then build along the lines to a Drake Maverick, Santos Escobar one-on-one. You were having a go at me about defending this sort of wall-to-wall knee-jerk booking where they just book one week for the next week. This was really the essence of it for me. This is what I thought you would go mad at because it's quite clear that they had nothing really much planned for next week's show other than the Keith Lee Adam Cole. So they were making matches up for night one to go do on night two. And you know what's crazy is Brizango actually are the number one contenders to the tag team championships. They do actually have something to do. Are they? Yeah, they they before um in your house on just a regular TV tape, they won a contendership match. I mean, this is another thing with NXT. I don't who are the NXT tag team champions? Is it Undisputed Era and um not Bobby Fish, the other guy. He's No, 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 they're not they're not champions anymore. They're therapists now. Is it Imperium? Oh yeah, it's Imperium. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you saw those guys? Uh before in your house. This can is, they, I mean, can they not travel or something? They were, they've been on a corona. Uh, yeah, they have. You're right. Show. Yeah, they have. No, I'm I'm with you. It's stupid that Brizango are there, but I guess they just didn't have any other two guys that are fun, loving baby faces that fit with Drake Maverick. They were the only ones that made sense. I I I see that they're doing the six man to build to the singles, but I don't even really see why. They don't like, need I the don't... six man. Why is this last? Because apparently if if this is going to be a six-man, then they're building this to last a couple of months. But I don't really see why. They were they had a great match, yeah, sure. But do you really think this has got legs for three months? No. Like it, and I hope and I hope Jake Maverick doesn't get the win back. But Jake, Jake Maverick only just got himself a job. I don't understand why a guy that wants to bring back being a Lucha Libre rock star who's currently a champion and looks uh, like way on his game is picking on this little dweeb that um got a job out of pity like i don't really understand why why the guy set his sights from a character perspective on Drake maverick no 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 in character escobar isn't even picking on drake maverick he didn't call him out or nothing drake maverick is the one that ran out and then he was going to attack Escobar, and the henchmen just got oh, to him first. Oh, that's true. That is true. I, I think Escobar's kind of been bothered by him for the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? Yeah, but like he's not asking for the, the rematch. If anything, Drave Magfrick is the one asking for the rematch. All right. Either way, like, like you said, this six-man tag isn't necessary. It just feels like they're trying to put on the best match possible in part two. Brizango are going to put on a great match. Yeah, but I, want, I don't want to see that. I want to see... 
Drake Maverick, Santos Escobar, blow off. Escobar beats him. That's it. I would. Do you I would, really want to see that match again? Yeah, I, I really yeah. enjoyed. I really enjoyed the first match. I liked the first match. I quite happily see a second match. I think what they're doing here is worse because they're using. Then it's not just create the best match possible. They're using Breezango to get a build up to the second match. So now this this feud is actually going to last longer than it would have if you just had the second match blow off. The henchmen have to take the pin, right? Or do you think Escobar's team has to win? I'll be pissed off if Escobar's team doesn't win. So that means Brizango have to take the loss? Yeah. Fuck. No, no Ma- Maverick. Maverick takes the loss. Oh, you think? I, I think he's the only sensible one to take the loss. Classic WWE booking. If Drake Maverick loses this, he wins the championship match. Yeah, probably. I can see it. All right. Well, after this promo, we then go backstage for a promo with Cameron Grimes. Obviously, we already had the promo of Damien Priest earlier in the night. This one was worse and just as stupid. (laughs) I hate Cameron Grimes. I hated him when he was in TNA, and I hate him now. Not Um, Obviously, I don't hate him, but I don't like his wrestling style. I don't think he's very strong on the mic. He's one of those cosplay wrestlers, you know? Those guys that do... A, a promo at like a fan expo and they think they're good and this is that's funny because uh Cornette, jim Cornette, has got a constant hard on for cameron grimes and basically what you're saying is that jim Cornette's got a hard on for Cam- cameron grimes because cameron grimes cosplays an 80s wrestler yeah so hey. all of the all of the experienced fans that love the the old side of the wrestling business don't mind the new side of the wrestling business if it's just a different type of cosplay. But he's not... His promos aren't good, right? No. He's not believable when he talks. He tries to go for Ric Flair energy, but he doesn't make any sense and he just kind of comes off as a dweeb. Big dick Um, energy. He doesn't have it. Yeah, not my style. This is... Are you looking forward to Damien Priest versus Gamma Grimes? I hope Damien Priest just blows straight through him and then goes on to something more important. I don't think he will, oh, considering fuck. that Cameron Grimes has got a win over Finn Balor. Yeah, why did that happen? I don't know. God damn it. Uh, then we get a little hype video for Mercedes Martinez. Uh, do you know who she is? I originally thought that she was Cyborg from UFC and then <laughs> realized it wasn't. I could see why you think that. Uh, she's really cool. She's done some stuff in Ring of Honor and other indies. Uh, she's going to be great in NXT. I'm not sure whether she's going to be great on WWE because she gives me a distinctive Rhea Ripley, Shayna Baszler vibe. She's definitely in that wheelhouse. Um, she is really cool, though. She's a great worker, so hopefully she does good stuff. Okay. Right, then we get on to our main event. It's Sasha Banks versus Io Shirai. Non-title, apparently. I thought this was for the championship. You had a little hissy fit over this. I don't really understand why. Because I messaged you, and then the reply you sent back to me, you kind of implied Sasha Banks won, but she didn't. Io Shirai won. And I just got angry. Why is the NXT (laughs) champion losing to someone on the main roster? But it's fine. Io Shirai won, which I think is the right decision. But seeing as though she won, why couldn't this have been for the title? It would have I, just been an extra little detail that would have made the match more uh, interesting, a I bigger, bigger film. I think the only reason behind that is because it, it it doesn't make logical sense. And this is where it's clear that you only watch NXT, you don't watch Raw and SmackDown, because um, Sasha Banks has got a main feud with Asuka on Extreme Rules. Yeah, I know that champion match is coming up. So I and, knew that was a thing. I was just... 
the thing was that Sasha Banks just challenged challenge, Sasha Banks said to Bailey at some point on SmackDown that she fancied having a championship as well. So that is literally how the Oscar Sasha Banks match was created. Came out of nowhere. There's no feud. There's no gimmick. And this match was used to actually build a feud between the two. And I guess from Vince McMahon's perspective, this is Sasha Banks's warm-up match, really. Um, but it would be weird, I'm sure you would agree, for Sasha Banks to go from being a tag team champion and having nothing to do with championship belts to then getting two championship matches in one month. No, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I was just saying from excitement aspects and that this is the main event of a pay-per-view, yeah. if you like. I know it's only night one, night two, but it's still the main event. What an entrance. Yeah, they look really cool coming out in the back of that convertible. Uh, there was a dog there, <laughs> but they looked they looked hella heel. They were dressed up in proper uh, American red, white, and blue. I thought for a second then we were going to get an America versus Japan storyline. Thank God we didn't. That would have ruined it. But they look cool. These are my two favorite people in the industry right now. I think currently in terms of heel, serious comedy, throwing the whole thing together, charismatic as hell. I, I don't think you can beat Bailey and Sasha Banks. It got me to the point where I was really waiting for them to split up and have a feud. And now I don't want them to again which is always the sign of a very successful wrestling personality. Oh, definitely is. I, I'm really hoping it lasts till Mania and they split around Rumble Mania time. It, it's uh, this match. Or maybe it will never happen. Maybe they'll just con- tease it forever and it's gonna they're going to go on like this for I years. I mean, they, the New Day worked. So Exactly. This match is the first interesting suicide dive I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I did sure. this lovely little dive, and I thought, ah, oh, I need to get my suicide. Sorry, Tope Suicida counter out. Um, and she went sideways, and she made it look really cool. Hats off to that, because I hate suicide dives, and I especially hate suicide dives when they're called Tope Suicida. I know that's a, a bugbearer of yours. You don't need to bring it up every time. That's <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, this. not only was this match of the night, I think this was match of, not match of the night both shows. Oh, yeah, but I mean of both shows. Not match of both shows for me. No? Nah, Thatcher Lorcan had to take it. Oh, okay. This was close, though. This was really good. I preferred this match. This was my favorite. Because it, it was a really close back and forth. I, uh, it felt at some time Sasha Banks could win it, which I guess is a, a sign of like a really good kind of competitive fight. Um, and that was making me angry. It was making me really invested and emotional about the match because I was going to go ballistic if Sasha Banks won this. It had the right ending. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you think of um, Oscar spitting in faces during coronavirus after now 40 people have tested positive in that building? Yeah, man. Well, I know why they did it creatively because it's become Oscar's thing now. Um, but it's almost bloody minded at this point. It, no, it's very like, stupid. I assume it's all oh, done purposely. I assume Oscar's been tested. Still, though, it's in the bad image. It's not the right time. Yeah, there's other ways Oscar could have interrupted the match and caused the finish the way she did without the miss. Um, I thought this was a great main event. I think it's quite clear that there's some ridiculous skill uh, between both of them, and together they had a natural sort of charisma. And this was they're very similar style in the way they're very kind of um, athletic. They like to jump around a lot and they've very, I don't know how to put it, like 
flexible yoga style. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, it's sort of, sort of like a loose jumping about, but a close mat And game. the way that they can, both of them can kind of fall back on their limbs and it looks really painful, but I don't think it is to them. But you haven't, you haven't been watching Raw and SmackDown, the main show. Sasha and or Bailey have kind of been the saviors of the weekly shows. Uh, they're the only ones that have been delivering throughout. But it was telling that as good as Sasha Banks's match are on the main roster, this is the best thing I've seen her do, I think, this year. Uh, so, I mean, really drives home the point of why exactly the main shows are in any way different from the developmental shows. I know that we're getting the main roster people down to NXT to put some eyes on the show for fans, but all it really does is show up just how bad the main shows are with main show wrestlers in the developmental setting. Well, you, Io Shirai is considered one of the best female wrestlers in the world and has been for a long time. You compare her to Dana Brooke or a lot of the women on the main roster, you can see in a match like this that she is so many steps ahead. Yeah. Anyway. I, I understand stuff. the comments and issues that you had with this show, but I still really enjoyed the show overall. And I definitely thought that this was better than what we're about to get into as a program, as a Wednesday night, I tune in, not that I do, it's usually Friday, um, <laughs> just to watch a wrestling show and enjoy myself. I thought this was far superior, better wrestling, um, more engagement as to what I'm seeing next week, even though I know we've talked about the lack of long term, but short term. They're telling me what I've got tonight, what I've got next week. They give me, throw me a good match that they don't promote. They give me some good stuff. They give me a couple of comedy, stupid shit. But overall, entertaining show for me. So NXT won in the ratings. The second week in a row. But AEW won in the ratings of 18 to 35-year-olds. So from a fan's perspective, NXT won. But from a broadcaster and advertiser's perspective, AEW won. So do with that information what you want. AEW needs to be careful, though, because uh, from a slightly more detailed ratings, lowest rating for NXT was only Lorcan versus Timothy Thatcher. And it went up a lot more by the main event. Whereas the, I think the lowest rating for this AEW show was actually the main event of Adam Page and Kenny Omega, Best Friends. So it's quite clear that people tuned out and didn't think that that was main event worthy. Yeah, the main event was a bit disappointing. Maybe that was Mox, maybe that was Best Friends, or maybe that's the fact that Kenny Omega needs to be fed some jobbers. But there you go. On a business standpoint, although AEW didn't have the most viewers, they made the most money. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I don't... I don't really get into the ratings thing. No, I know. We don't usually at all. I was just adding that for a little... Um, like, like we are saying, like we could talk about these shows in a political sense or a creative sense, and I would say a different show wins however we talk about it. And, th and the same if you look at the ratings. Depending on what rating you look at, a different show well, wins. If you're, looking at, if you're looking at that demographic, if you're looking at the 1835 demographic, you got an NXT video game and an AEW video game. What video game are you picking up, Ben? Uh, AEW? Yeah, same. Personally. They've got that market. They need to run with it, but they could they they need to keep it. It's about the, the longevity of the customer. Of course, definitely. <sighs> 
AEW Dynamite, huh? Right. So, shall we explain the gimmick of the show a little bit first? Because we had this conversation earlier in the week, and you didn't, you didn't understand the joke. And um, my personal feeling is, the joke or the parody of the of Fighter Fest, which is meant to be of um, Fire Fest, the music festival that failed. I thought it was funny and it worked the first time they did it. The second, I don't think they should have run it a second time round. This to me is the equivalent of in 2024, AEW running a show called it the the Tiger King Experience. And the first time they did it, it was like a one off. It was back before they had TV, and the whole thing was meant to be that everything a wrestling show shouldn't be. So it had the first lights out unsanctioned match where. Tony Khan said, we're not going to sanction this match because it's too dangerous. There was, um, it was the time when the wrestlers were dressing up as cosplayers. Um, And then the biggest thing, obviously we have all the girls in bikinis on the stage. The idea was meant to be, it was everything a wrestling show shouldn't be a parody of that festival that went horribly wrong. And that was fine. I think it worked the first time. This time round, they didn't explain the parody. They didn't explain where the name came from. They didn't explain the girls being there. They didn't explain anything. And the gimmick didn't play out either. Apart from the girls, there was none of this. Oh, this is how a wrestling show shouldn't be. Where This is where I have to take umbrage with what uh, you have been shilled. Because I don't actually believe that you believe this. But we were talking about 10 minutes ago about the ratings war and how they're doing very well into the 1835 demographic we've also talked extensively about how AEW's women division is god awful and feels shoehorned in because it has to be we also know a lot about AEW positioning so themselves as the most progressive company in the world if not the country i don't see it i see 80 to 18 to 35 male demographic i see every single shot on an open shot from an advert being a lady in a swimming pool in a bikini. I see AEW's general treatment of women as viable competitors to be an absolute almost nil point. Later on in the show, you had Jake Hager's attractive wife come down for no apparent reason. This is attitude error, WWF. This uh, fire fest or whatever, I think they are aware of the fact that the joke's old. I think they just want to keep it now because it sells to the horny little 19-year-old boys watching instead of, because they want to see tits and ass instead of Eero Shirai and Sasha Banks have a great match. I totally agree with you. I think running the show a second time was a mistake. This time, like you said, it's got a very 90s feel to it. The girls were there as eye candy. They weren't there as part of this ongoing joke because the rest of the joke wasn't a part of the show at all. Uh, I would argue that the Jake Hager thing, his wife being there, had some relevance in the storyline because she put uh, through water on Cody. But what was the point of that? I saw that. I saw that press conference. That was the only bad thing about the press conference. It, it didn't make any difference, good or bad, whether it happened or not. It didn't put any heat on Hager, it, and it didn't put any heat on Cody to get madder. It just made no sense. The only reason she was there that time is because she was used as part of one of those talking head videos in his last match against Moxley. So she's kind of been around. She's kind of his unofficial manager. 
I think it's used to try and separate him from the inner circle. So instead of Chris Jericho coming out as his manager, he's got someone else. Okay, but like you said, it, it's like it's it's not totally un it's not totally necessary. She doesn't need to be there. She doesn't really add anything. But she's definitely not there for eye candy. She does have a storyline presence. Well, it's uh, I mean the way you've described it. Uh, kind of feels like it's another one of AEW's throwbacks to that time that you had to be watching that YouTube channel at some point in 2019. If, if that's the thing, then that's the thing, whatever. You already know my opinions on calling back storylines that even the ha- most hardcore fans don't remember. If they want to carry on down that route, that's fine, whatever. No, it's always been on Dynamite. It's always been main storyline canon. Okay. <laughs> Apparently I'm supposed to know about Jake Hager's wife. But yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, I can already see this developing. So let's just get into the show. We had a beautiful Canadian suit from Jericho, and I love the fact that he is commentating this uh, show. He's okay. the best color commentator working right now. Definitely, he's my dream promotion. Would have um, Samoa Joe on play by play and Jericho on color. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be great. Uh, you've already said that you hated this match about five times, and you already told me before the podcast died you hated it about twice. I didn't hate this match as much as you did. Okay, so what, what, I, one point I have to make is that I love MJF's outfit, and give or take the ratings war line, MJF, as usual, comes out, plays the best heel in the business, and looks the shit. I love that pink stuff. I think he looks great. I think he's... He's wearing pink and saying, I'm better than you, and you know it. And I, I, I love the whole idea of it. I did also find it funny that Jurassic Express are coming out. Tony Schiavone's trying to play up the fact that they're taking this match seriously. And he says, none of the usual theatrics for the Jurassic Express. But before he gets to Jurassic, he's cut off by giant promo, pyro. Uh, <laughs> just bad timing, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, sure. This match, man, okay, excellent stuff from MJF and Jungle Boy. No problem with them. I like everything they do. I loved their match. I th- was it double or nothing? Um, yeah. I love their match. I love the feud. I want it to continue. My problem was with the big boys. You just don't like big boys doing flippy dippy shit. Why do big boys have to do flippy dippy shit? Big boys should be big boys. That's why they're big boys. They, if they're the heavy, then they're supposed to act like it. They're supposed to be the heavy to MJF and Jungle Boy, who can do the flippy stuff if they want to. They're supposed. But it's to be fun. The, it's not fun if it destroys the character. Wardlow did a fucking amazing senton bomb. I don't. Get, that's the whole problem, Ben. But he nailed it. I'm sure Undertaker can do an amazing senton bomb. You know why Undertaker didn't? Because he was a big guy. Wardlow and Luchasaurus are cunning off any money that they could potentially have before they even start. Because Wardlow and Luchasaurus, I'm sure that they want to get out there and show their athleticism. But they make more money by being big dudes. And this is the problem that I have with AEW. You don't just throw all of your shit out because you can. You throw your shit out when it's necessary. Go back to Taker's advice in the documentary. I would do a quick thing. I would do slow, 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 quick thing just to show I can come out of nowhere. Slow, slow, slow. That's what Wardlow and Luchasaurus should be doing. And I feel like Wardlow is young and green. That's quite clear. 
he's learning bad big man lessons from Luchasaurus, who just seems like a spot monkey, but a seven foot one. And all of the, the commentators are trying their very best to build this up as King Kong versus Godzilla. They said it over and over and over again. But King Kong doesn't do a senton bomb. And Godzilla doesn't do a flippy dick kick. And why is Jungle Boy doing three suicide dives? What, why this over-exaggeration of literally everything you're doing? You can have the same amount of minutes with the same amount of people, do way less, and I'd be more interested. Jungle Boy literally did three suicide dives after Wardlow had done a senton and Luchasaurus done about eight flips. So what am I watching here? Am I watching Loki versus Austin Aries? What, what am I seeing? I think, unfortunately... AEW's product has a lot of lucha inspiration in it, and this isn't going to go away. But why the seven foot guys? It, it upsets and angers me because both those guys have a great look. Luchasaurus looks great. Wardlow could be something special in a couple of years' time, but they're pissing it all away by showing me that they can do a dive. Sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> also, but further on in this match, why does Tony Schiavone have to point out that the babyface manager, which is Marco Stunt, is going to get a babyface team disqualified? Man, I, I don't know what to say to you. Like, I agree with you. It's not the best match these guys have ever had. But these four guys are doing something very interesting in the long run. Earlier, you compared the four-way women's match who have equally had a lot of different variations of that match. Jungle Express, MGF, and Wardlow have had a lot of variations of this match. Okay. This is, the, this is my crucial issue and when I, why I went into this show pissed off and got slowly more pissed off. So we'll take it back to the start. We've got Jungle Boy. We've got MHF. They're not massive guys. They're medium-sized guys. And then MJF and Jungle Boy are having a feud. So then AEW bring in Wardlow versus Luchasaurus. And Wardlow and Luchasaurus kind of represent, uh, respectively, MJF and Jungle Boy's heavy, right? Sure. So they're threats to the other guy. Luchasaurus is going to fuck up MJF and Wardlow is going to fuck up Jungle Boy. That's the point, right? You've got these two towering bear moths which Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross repeatedly saying look like Japanese Gaijin monsters. So why do we then have these giant monsters who the whole point of this story and the whole point of this match is to be the heavy, to be the big guys, to be the big shows, doing flips. I lost my shit when Wardlow tried to do a senton bomb. I don't care how good it looks. It's not about how athletic they are. I know they're athletic. It's the fact that they're doing moves that Jungle Boy does. So what's the point of Jungle Boy having a heavy? I, I think, unfortunately, AEW is just trying to be very opposite to the WWE style. Their style of wrestling is Lucha meets Japan, which is very different to what we're used to seeing from WWE. And I don't think that's going to go away. They're going to continue doing this style. I refuse to believe that a, a seven-foot big man acting like a seven-foot big man is WWE style. No, what I, what I mean is like the American style of the strong big men is not what they're looking to do. They want to have Lucha meets New Japan. Then they're just, they're just another guy to me. They're just a giant version of 
Jungle Boy. Yeah, that's what they want to be. Well, then they're never going to sell a big man. Lance Archer, sure. Lance Archer has at least had some restraint. I don't see Lance Archer doing a senton bomb. And therefore, I respect him a little bit more as a big man. But Lance Archer, I wouldn't say anybody calls him unathletic or uninteresting. It feels like two guys who were trying to get their shit in as much as possible. And nobody told them backstage that that was a bad idea. And they went and did it, and they destroyed the saleability of themselves. I don't know what to tell and you. Why the fuck was MJF just losing a tag team match in eight minutes? Well, no, the ending had a storyline purpose. <sighs> so the match ended with MJF being kicked into Wardlow. The dynamite ring hits Wardlow. And then after the match, MJF is screaming at Wardlow that he can't do anything right. So they're teasing the the split of these two guys. Okay. Which I think is a bit premature. What, so but, Wardlow uh, can go do some sentons to absolutely nobody on AEW Dark? Well, I, well, that's the thing. I think if they split these two up, Wardlow doesn't have anything interesting to do. Well, he doesn't even have, he doesn't even have the big man gimmick anymore. Just forget the senton shit. I can't. For a second. I can't. Ah, then we went into puppies. Yeah, I'm not going to f- defend this. I got no idea what that's all about. I looked it up, and apparently, it's a take on Super Bowl's Puppy League. So it's right. a, a desperate attempt for AEW to show how relevant they are on their TV pay per view, which harks back to a Netflix documentary from 2019. So this is an American thing that we're not going to understand. I, I'm not yet sure the Americans understand it, Ben. Honestly, um, I assume this okay. is puppies playing in a ring. I really hope this is a build-up for a YouTube video and that they're not actually going to show this on their TV pay-per-view of the summer. But yeah, I thought this was stupid as well. I had no idea what that's about. You're starting to see why I was so angry going into this show. I, I no, no, I get why you're angry. It's just I feel like the style of wrestling they're trying to portray is just different to what you want, you, and it's not going to change. But no, but you, it's not... Uh, it, I I don't like the Lucha stuff and I get that other people do but you must understand my basic point of big men doing Lucha stuff makes them look like shit big men and makes the Lucha guys look worse first of all why are we going to see a big man if he's not being a big man and second of all if we can see a big man doing that stuff why would anybody else want to watch a normal guy doing that stuff no i totally get it you're losing how important that character is by not portraying it properly it's frustrating because they don't have many big men at all they need a few and wardlow and luchasaurus both look great but they're just they're being allowed to do whatever they want it's not even, I don't even feel like it's Luchasaurus and uh, Wardlow's fault. They both look green. They haven't been in the business long and nobody's told them, stop doing dives, you're seven fucking foot. No, I don't think it's the case that they're doing what they want. I think they're being told to do this shit. That makes me even angrier. It, Where's Arn Anderson? They, they want a very fast paced style of wrestling. They want all this stuff in the matches. But why, why the big guys? Because they want everyone doing it. Anyone that can do it is going to do it. Well, then nobody stands out. But MJF and Cody stand out. No, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying I, th- I think this is their thinking. 
Okay. Well, it needs to change. Uh, so after that, we get a Lance Archer, Joey Janela, Brawl in the crowd. Nothing too exciting. Uh-huh. Sets up the match next week. Apart from the fact that Joey Janela couldn't take his T-shirt off and Jake Roberts was laughing about it. I didn't even notice that. I wasn't really... This is, the, this is the thing, man. It's just... It's misstep after misstep. You can have all the best intentions in the world, but every single segment was coming off so badly here. It, it's really, really funny. But Janela literally did the Mike Tyson. They've had it twice in two months. A guy couldn't take his T-shirt off. And Jake Roberts has got these, like bright new she uh sleaming white teeth that he's just bought from a dentist in nevada or something and he's just cackling away in the background could watching like pop belly janela trying to take his shirt off and it just i mean it gave off bad vibes it's it gave off um i hate to say it outlaw mud show it felt like that felt like outlaw mud show I really like Lance Archer. I hope he gets something good out of this match and then goes on to something. Well, he needs to des- he needs to destroy Janela and get into the upper mid card. I think. Yeah, which I, I'm worried won't happen because they're also trying to push this Joey Janela uh, story with the other guy. I can't remember the name of what. I um Sonny Ono, and I like that. I really like those skits, and I like those little segments they have together. They've got a weird chemistry. But this is, again, a AEW problem. I mean, maybe it's a WWE problem recently as well, where all of the tiers of card are meshing, and everybody has to have a competitive match with somebody. I like Janela's shtick right now with Sonny Ono. Shouldn't be anywhere near Lance Archer although, if it's not for a squash. Although their story is that they're both kind of losers and they can't break into that next level on the card. So maybe a loss here fits their story and Lance Archer can move on to something else. I think he definitely needs a squash. So next match after that is the Women's Championship. Shida is defending against Penelope Ford. You didn't like this, did you? I thought that both women tried hard and I thought the commentary team tried really hard to sell it. I, I've got no ill will against anybody in the match. It, it's just that when you go from watching a women's match in WWE to a women's match in AEW, it's a lot in the same way of thinking of big men WWE versus big men AEW. It's not so much styles. It's just training. Sheeta and Ford, their slaps and punches and knees and body slams, they all looked really fake and horrible. Nothing. It looked like John Cena's punches, Cersei 2007. Well, Ford is very young and very ill-experienced. And I think that this is the best match she's had so far. She's not done an awful lot of great stuff up till now. She impressed me more than Sheeta, honestly. She looked really good in this match. They both need, like, if they, if they were WWE, and say what you want about WWE, they would be taken off TV and sent to developmental. They, they're very, the, the basic stuff, the holds, the punches, um, the slams, look really bad, especially in direct competition with people like Io Shirai and Sasha Banks, who are at the top of their game. Unfortunately, AEW don't have that luxury, though. They can't just send someone somewhere else to be trained. That's why I feel like guys like Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Jake Roberts, even Jim Ross seem to just be sitting on their hands and taking the money. There's a lot of talent behind there that can 
work with the big men, can work with the women. You can't tell me that Arn and Tali and Jake aren't sitting in this crowd sort of feeling incredibly uncomfortable with how they're seeing the big men being done, how how the women are fighting each other. Like They could easily provide so much experience and care if the, the wrestlers are willing to listen to it, as I'm sure they are, and it could change the product immensely with small things. Well, hopefully they are helping them because a lot of, especially on the women's division, a lot of them are rookies, really, and they're kind of learning on the job. And even more so, the women's division was cut in half because of COVID. And they seem to only have six, maybe seven female competitors at their disposal on the shows right now. And that's why I think that's why I think the division's very lackluster. I know the creative also isn't doing their best job with the women's division, but Sheeta versus Ford is the best we've got to go with right now, especially with Britt Baker out of action. And I think Penelope Ford stepped up. This was the best match she's ever had that I've seen of hers. I think she did the best with the opportunity she gave. And I said from the outset of this that I've got nothing against the actual people. The commentators and the wrestlers tried their very best, but it just looks amateur hour in comparison to the other product. I think the problem with AEW's women's division is they don't have a locker room leader there to say this is not good. This is bad stuff. They desperately, desperately, if they want to build the women's division, pick up experienced female wrestlers of a Beth Phoenix caliber to come in and say, we need to completely rework how you're physically having matches. And by the way, I'm taking over booking. Yeah, I've said for weeks now, if they got Lita or Gail Kim to come and run that division, it would they would change the thing on a dime. Either do that or bin the women's division off and have your bikini girls. Because you can't have both. This is not working. It's not been working since the beginning of AEW. And instead of trying to do something about it, it feels like they bother with it every couple of weeks. If, they, if they're not going to actually put the effort and money into the women's division, they're not going to give it the time or space, take it off TV. I think, unfortunately, they couldn't bin it, though. I think fans would be in uproar more than what they currently are. Then they need to put a lot of work, time, and money into it. Oh, they definitely do. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Anyway. So next up, we get the Taz promo. Oh, no, 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 sorry. This is a video of Taz describing how Cage is going to beat Moxley and how dangerous Moxley's double underhook finisher is. But he proves scientifically that Mox can't get the move on Cage because Cage traps are just too big. <laughs> I've been loving everything, Taz. And I've been loving these scientific essay, little scientific essay video packages that Taz has been doing over the past couple of weeks. I think it's a real shame yes. that this match might not happen because of WWE, because Taz, whether Brian Cage and Mox have or not, I mean, they kind of seem to phone it in. Taz himself has been building this main event so hard to try and get something out of it. Taz is the real MVP of AEW right yeah, now. He definitely is. He's doing everything right that Jake the Snake got wrong with Lance Archer. But he's he's the only, if you think back through this sort of lackluster build towards this main event match, he's the only person out of the three of them that's made it feel like I want to watch that, really. Yeah, since the first six to eight months, I've really been quite uninterested in John Moxley. 
He's really been underwhelming since he won the championship. I think Mox just desperately needs a main event feud. But the problem is that they don't book anybody to look main event because they have their big guys doing sentons. I think him versus Omega would really change the program for both. But of they them. need to they need to change Omega before they can get him back with Mox. Yeah. No, I get what you're this is where their booking is continually shooting themselves in the foot because they're not positioning anybody apart from a few main boys to be in the main event. So it's not so much Mox as Mox not having anything to do. So talking about some of the main boys, we go on to Cody versus Jake Hager, which was maybe Cody's worst ever match in AEW and Jake Hager's second best match. <laughs> um, Jake Hager has been yeah. shite. In all of his AEW matches, some people defend him, but I don't think he's added anything to this company. Well, again, he was brought in as a much needed big man. They're trying the big man thing and all big men are failing because the country, the company is run, as you say, for the lucha. You can't have a big man doing big men because AEW have created a psychological disorder in their fan base where if anybody actually tries to portray character and psychology rather than wrestling skill they're shit on yeah but jake hager's not even doing that oh no but they ruined hager the second that he started laughing and joking around with the inner circle they should have kept him serious and i i do honestly believe that they should have kept him away from a comedy unit and it's kind of this the inner circle for me now is really starting to break apart and what was fun and interesting and great is actually hurting everybody in that apart from Jericho now. Yeah, well if Sammy Guevara is going to be off TV for a while, Santana Ortiz have been eating losses and Jake Hager looks shite in this match, the the stable is completely falling apart now. Chris Jericho is the only person with momentum. And that's, I mean, that's class. I hate to say I told you so, but that's classic Hulk Hogan booking himself. Yes and no. I feel Chris Jericho was really trying to push Sammy Guevara. He was really trying to give him a spotlight and took him under his wing. The crucial issue with AEW, more than any other little niggling issue that they need to sort out, is their, as their main stables. You've got Jericho's stable, the natural heels, versus the elite who are positioned supposedly as baby faces the problem with the elite is that most of them are incredibly unlikable we've already been over this territory we know that yeah they've already got loads of heels so how do they make the elite and the bucks and omega a heel unit and make the elite a heel unit then they've just got two heel units yeah it's just unfortunate the elite is all they've always been heel but because the company is named after them, they kind of had to be the face of the company. It is what it is now. I think the story they're running with Hangman Page versus Matt Jackson, that the Bucks are eventually going to turn heel. And I would like to see Omega turn heel with them. So those three are heel and then Page and Cody stay face. Because I'm really enjoying Cody as a face. Cody's his, a great face. His that- promos are on fire. What what AEW has taught me over the past couple of years is that Cody can do either. Cody's a great face just as much as he's a great heel. 
And uh, I don't know whether Omega and Young Bucks are actually dislikable in real life, but they come across as it. Even when they're, it feels like when they're baby faces, they're play acting baby faces, and they're going to go in the back and giggle like Scott Hall and Kevin Nash used to do. I just feel that they've always been here their entire careers. And this is the first time they've been proper baby faces. They've kind of been tweeners, you know, where the crowd really loves them. So they, they play out the crowd, but in ring, they're still the heels. This is the first time that they're meant to be pure baby faces. So again, like they're learning on the job and they're not really doing what best suits them. So uh, well, back to this match, Cody did win. I don't know what to say, man. It was a really lackluster match. I wasn't excited going into it. I've not been impressed with Hager's stuff. I enjoyed it a little bit more than you. Um, I love the fact that Hager's theme tune apparently is Tell the World I'm a Jerk over and over again. Um, cheap Hill Heat, sure, whatever, man. <laughs> uh, There's some really good mat wrestling to open. I had a migraine for most of this show, and when I saw some mat wrestling... I just had a headache. I enjoyed the fight over administering an ankle lock early on. I think that Cody, uh, I think that Cody Rhodes' moveset has been meticulously put together to create the very best baby fa- face attacks in the business, and I think that's a secret to Cody's charm as a as a face. He has some of the sort of very well crafted uh, moves, one after the other, all slightly different. None of them are quite like a normal move set that come together to create heat-generating moments for a crowd to come back and chant for his name. But I do think he's beginning to fall into an 80s routine. You look at this match, you look at pretty much any of his other TNT Championship matches, and it's mat wrestling, high-flying, outside, advert, outside, selling-selling, babyface fire, maybe a bit of blood, comeback, big moves, submission, win. And it's really starting to follow a Hogan-esque idea of what a 10 to 20 match is. That's kind of his charm though, right? Because like you said, everyone else has this lucha Japanese style that's all very samey-samey, so Cody sticks out. Yeah, but I, I do think that it works for him and it makes people like him and it makes me like his matches and watch his matches, but he does need to change it up a little bit because it is starting to feel hogan-esque in you you almost know what's coming before it before it happens sure yeah no, i got you saying what do you think's next for jake hager out of this i don't know uh, i mean i know you said you weren't impressed with him and you didn't like him that much in this i haven't really i don't think i've actually seen a hager's single match his match with dustin rhodes at i want to say it was at revolution that was pretty good uh, that was a great story. His match with John Moxley for the championship in uh, Empty Arena match. A lot of people liked that. I didn't. I felt it felt it came up really short with the gimmick and they didn't do anything new or interesting. They kind of just went through the motions. And apart from that, I think Hager's only been in tag matches. Well, hey, man, I thought that here uh he had chemistry with cody he's also a good sort of technical wrestler heel i wouldn't mind seeing more singles hager matches but again he's just another one of these guys you say the roster is too big i just think that the roster the whole roster's lost i don't think it's necessarily too big it's just as you say where'd you go and this was what we were saying from the very outset of the program nxt seemed to be booking decisions on the fly and yet they seem to get away with it 
Cody is planning and, and Khan and everybody else are planning six months in advance and nothing's coming out of it. You come out of a feud and you think, well, I don't actually know where they're going now and that's not a good thing. Yeah. They've got a lot of time and they've got a lot of, of energy to do this. And as you said, I don't actually believe their knee-jerk booking to whatever NXT is doing. And yet they seem to be messing it up. They really need to take a concerted effort at this point, apart from guys like Cody, apart from guys like MJF. And they need to look at what they've got and what they want. And they need to make some guys jobbers that actually needs to happen and not just Sean Spears. They need some jobbers. They need some mid-card. They need some upper mid-card. They need some main. I just think with all of that in place, Hager just still sticks out in this company. He doesn't fit in. His acting isn't too great. His wrestling... He's a WWE guy, isn't he, really? He's a WWE guy through and through. I mean, his MMA career has gone great so far. I, I truly believe that's where he is focused right now. And AEW is just a paycheck. He's had a couple of matches. They've been okay, but... Nothing special. Also, this was the third match with interference out of the three matches that we've watched. Yeah, yeah, very true. I didn't pick up on that, but that is... At this point in the show, I'm really not enjoying myself. The next match, after a couple of skits, I hardly even paid attention to, I'm afraid. Well, so the next skit is Darby Allen on a skateboard. It's like not wrestling at all. I don't understand what the point of that was. 18 to 35 demographic. But it's not even wrestling related. He's just on a skateboard and says a few lines. Very silly. Very, very silly. Well, Darby Allen has a skateboard segment after being not medically cleared because he took a pointless move off a ladder that nobody cared about in a month. Yeah, but I mean, he could still even say someone's name, get some heat on something, whatever. Orange Cassidy walks out of a steel chair and sits at the commentary table to piss Jericho off. Oh my God, it pissed me off as well. But I thought that Jericho did a really good job at building his match because he's more and more heated. Jericho is a legend for a reason. He's a goat for the reason he can take shit and make it shine. But But you complained last week that Orange Cassidy's not playing to his character. He played to his character here and Jericho ran with it and did a good job of it. But it's Ben, it's so schizophrenic. This is the issue, man. Last week you had a crazy. Baby face fire, Orange Cassidy throwing Chris Jericho all around the arena. And my issue with him was, I don't know who this guy is. He's not the Orange Cassidy that I know. Therefore, I'm not sold on anything he's doing. But okay, you've shown me now that he's a baby face that gets angry. So what do they do this week? They sit him next to the guy that he tried to kill last week. So he can half fall asleep for 20 minutes in order to build up a match between the two the week after. But this goes back to what you were saying earlier, where AEW really listens to the fans. Last week's segment didn't make any sense. So they've just diverted back to what Orange Cassidy does best. So we have to ignore last week's segment. It never existed. Well, we have to ignore what w, half of what WWE do all the time. We're building, though, that is throwing that is throwing defense when you don't have a response. We are building a match, which apparently is a marquee match for next week, by having the two guys who just finished beating the shit out of each other sit next to each other quietly for 15 minutes no i agree with you the stuff they did on the main event spot last week of orange cassidy didn't make any sense and i didn't like it too much it didn't fit his character 
But this, I thought, was really good because Jericho was getting more and more pissed off as the match went on, and then it crescendoed after the match. But this, I'm afraid this wouldn't... Storylines need to make sense. This would have been fine if they didn't have last week. But last yeah, that's, week that's it. A, a different view of this week. Yeah, that's it. You're, you're totally right with that. If last week didn't happen, this would have been great. But because of what they did last week, they're flip-flopping all over the place. Also, is Orange Cassidy part of Orange Cassidy's gimmick being smelly? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> Why is he wearing last week's bloody t-shirt? Like, is he so lazy that he actually stinks? No, I think he's so lazy that he never change. He never gets changed. Yeah, so he stinks. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Sure. <laughs> I was trying to find my comedy where I could find it at this point uh, matt hardy is do you remember when the hardy boys right at the very start of their career were uh, managed by an out of shape michael hayes who was wearing the same shirt as the hardy boys no i don't remember that well matt hardy is starting to look like michael hayes during that era and it's really uncomfortable to see <laughs> I, I don't like M matt hardy's um stuff anymore matt hardy's another guy to me that actually uh like hager sticks out not really sure why he's here or what he's doing. Don't really yeah, know. He's direction for the first couple of weeks, and now he's partnered up with Private Party because he's got nothing better to do. So we got Private Party versus Santa Ortiz. This was a really strange placing on the card. Yeah, Felt I'm, like I'm afraid I hardly paid attention to this. Uh, oh, if you if want me to read my notes out, exactly what I've got. Private Party versus Santa Ortiz. Very strange placing on the card. Decent match. Okay, so I didn't miss much then. No, not at all. If something really bad would have happened, then I would have pointed it out um, as bad or insulting. If something really good had happened, I would have noticed. But at this point, I was eating a giant steak pie, and uh, I didn't really care. Apparently, this was a number one contenders match. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, Private Party won, and they're contenders now. Well, well done for building that one up. Well... It feels like... It's, come on, man. Like, you know that I try my best for AEW, but this is not a good show. Oh, no, I'm not defending that this was a great show. They, they've had Dynamites over the last month that have blown this out of the water. I just... Uh, they've had Dynamites I've really enjoyed. I'm not try purposely trying to be subjective against AEW and being a little NXT fanboy here. This was just a bad show. I've enjoyed loads of Dynamites before that I thought they ticked all the boxes and I really enjoyed the last pay-per-view, but this really let the team down and it it kind of gave NXT that shit-eating grin of we got you and we didn't even try. You know, that that's, that's what saddens me about this thing because as your whole point that you make that we've made over and over again is NXT made a TV pay-per-view on the fly and this was planned. This was planned in advance, and I was looking forward to this one before I even knew the other one existed. And NXT is coming out and beat, beating this show. The only thing I'm defending about this show is that it's long-term booking and everything makes sense. Some of the NXT stuff doesn't make sense, but in-ring ability, the matches on NXT were much better. Yeah, uh, okay. So we, then we get that Taz promo that I think everybody liked. And I think what's different about this is... The jab that he had on WWE was just real. There was no silly Cody smashing up a throne. It was just a single line that everybody's thinking and Taz said it. It's also the delivery as well. Like Taz said that like he couldn't give a shit. Like Vince McMahon, you're never welcoming me back. I'm not getting your Hall of Fame. Do I care? 
like he said it in such a New York accent as well. Like he didn't even have to mention them. Everybody knew what he was talking about. He picked something that had nothing really to do with AEW is better than you in a creative way. We just actually care about people and we find it funny that you don't. Yeah, so, sort of so paraphrasing a little bit, but this is the line. He claims that Moxley is hiding um, and not because he has coronavirus, because he's been tested twice already and they were both negative. And he would be tested again next week if he actually turned up. And Taz knows that he's not um, got the virus because they don't run a sloppy shop. He also went on to say, Mox, you have a case of one thing, the chicken shit. Yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a fun promo. Taz, Taz. Oh, it's so nice to see him on my television. I used to love hearing his podcast. Now I can actually see him in real life again. And he's knocking it out of the park, man. Yeah, he's the real star player right now. Definitely is. So then we go on to our main event. Uh, it's best friends versus the champions, Omega and Hangman Page. Let's talk about this entrance for a second. So best friends turn up in Trent's mum's minivan. This is meant to be a joke of FDR's truck entrance, which in itself is a rib of Cody doing that truck entrance that horribly failed. Did you like it? Look how funny we are on all of our inter-inter-in jokes. Okay, I'm going to defend it because best friends are... A comedy characters and they I, I i said at the top of the show i shouldn't have laughed at robert stone and i shouldn't have laughed at this and i hated myself for it but i i laughed i mean it was funny best friends do have a comedy streak and they got their joke out of the way and then they had a serious match so all in all i think it worked i don't think this should be main event though yeah i get that I can see that. If you're, if you're doing a comedy gimmick like that, that's fine. It's best friends. We talked about them last week being comedy when they want to be serious, when they want to be. This wasn't a main event. The ratings showed that it wasn't a main event. Even if they hadn't have done the Trent Breda thing, the very fact that they did shows that that character doesn't represent the main event. It should have definitely 100% been Cody Hager. But I don't think this comedy skit is what hurt the quality of this main event match. I think the, oh, the, no. act, the actual match itself wasn't main event caliber. It went too short. It felt like they still had another 10 minutes in them, and then it just kind of ended. And it, it it felt like Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. I mean, say what you want about Kenny, but Adam Page, before the coronavirus, unfortunately, was going right to the tippy top of that card. And I don't know anybody that talks shit about him. Even Jim Cornette loves him. Um, Hangman Page has got this, like, quality about him which is just above most guys in AEW right now and it just felt like two big guys two i mean kenny's getting there two almost main event stars against mid card villain of the week you know best friends are mid card there's no way of picturing them as main eventers yeah yeah but that's that's what i mean it it felt like an episode of x-files or an episode of doctor who where they have a villain that comes up for their show and then you never see that villain again. It was, it just, they were competitors of the week. So then after the match, FDR um, tries to give a beer to Omega and Hangman Page to celebrate their win. Hangman obviously takes the beer and Omega pours a beer out to piss him off. And you didn't like this, did you? No, well, <laughs> we had a chat about it and um, I realized that they'd got me. For the first time ever, 
<laughs> the bastards got me. I was I was heated at this. I was like, this is so stupid. Kenny Omega looks like an absolute twat pouring that beer out. And Kenny's supposed to be the face and FTR's supposed to be the hill. And then I realized, wow. Yep. They played you, they my friend. So this is actually this is actually some clever um storytelling, I think, because there's meant to be a divide in the elite as it is, and over hangman's drinking issue. Obviously, he takes the beer, no problem. And when Kenny pours the beer out, Hamman kind of is like, oh, whatever, man, and kind of walks away while the Bucks celebrate with Omega. This, yeah. So, but it, it once again, the, I, I do believe that maybe I'm dumb or maybe AEW think that wrestling fans are cleverer than they are because I only truly got this angle when I heard about the being the elite thing that they did afterwards where – uh, Paige is explaining to Omega that that was a sign of respect that FTR were trying to give. Omega acted like a twat about it, and Omega apologized to Paige and said, "Yeah, I get. I went a bit over the line." If they if they include that on next week's show within a minute, then it's a great great angle. But they can't always assume that people are watching their YouTube show. That is a problem that a lot of people have expressed that they add stuff onto the YouTube show that not even a quarter of the TV audience are watching. But yeah, no, they got me. I fully admit it. They worked me. And it's the first time I've been worked properly like that for, for years. And it, they, they hit close to home as well. Because you offer a guy a beer and the guy just pours it out in front of your face. Mm. No, I mean, it's perfect because it. there's been a real uh, divide between Hangman and the rest of the elite. And this just absolutely fits perfectly. I mean, I could see a six-man tag down the road with Hangman with FTR against the Elite. You're hard on NXT sometimes. I'm hard on AEW sometimes. But really, some of these angles, um, Undisputed Era, for example, or Page and Omega, would be on fire with crowds. And I don't think it's either necessarily either promotion's fault that they're sort of stalling it a little bit too much for comfort because they're still desperately waiting for that big crowd pop when the crowds are back for a turn. And it can't really be helped. Uh, you've got to give them a, both companies a little bit of wee- leeway right now. Yeah, and not just the big angles, the small ones as well. I think we're both really hard on the stupid stuff both companies are doing. I think it was Paul Heyman said it's really hard to gauge what's working and what's not gauging because there's no audience reaction. I can't think of an example, but there's one thing on the AEW show. We said, oh, it's really stupid, shouldn't have happened. If there was an audience there for a couple of weeks, it probably would have never happened because they would have seen much earlier on. That's not working. We won't go in that direction. And the same maybe with like the Dexter Luma stuff in NXT. It might have gone in a slightly different direction if there was a live audience and they could gauge what is and isn't working. That's a great point. And I I think it even extends to at-home audience. Uh, Looking at Orange Cassidy, they did the big turn, the big baby face turn where Cassidy got fired up. And you know that I hated it most crucially people didn't tune in for it well cassidy's exactly one of those sorts of people that in order to thrive needs a a, a reaction and he always gets a good reaction and his stick usually sells because the live crowd put it over. exactly so if they did this cassidy jericho feud with the bags of oranges and the freshly squeezed stuff and the beat down in the weeks preceding the big turn with the crowd the crowd would be on fire for it and maybe more of an audience would be watching that very true so 
we can walk away from this just saying both shows suck until there's live audience. Well, I got, I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. I'm just trying to come up with the most pacifist. I don't like this. <laughs> JR, uh, but he was not good on this show. And the most excited, excited and passionate I heard him sound was right at the end, promoting Adam Sandler's The, y- the Longest Yard. Yeah, I guess he really likes that oh, movie. It's got huh? Steve Austin in it. It's got Great Carly in it. It's got Goldberg in it. Kevin Nash. Yeah, there's a lot of them in that. He's basically saying, this show was terrible. Go watch this fake movie about American football starring Adam Sandler and a load of my mates. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Final thoughts, Ben. I know you preferred AEW. I still stand I by prefer- NXT. I preferred AEW overall just because I'm more interested in the storylines, but the show wasn't the best thing they put on in a long time, and the NXT matches in-ring were far better. Yeah, I I really hope that um, AEW impresses me this week because I went into Fighter Fest with the best intentions in the world. I was looking forward to it, apart from the Orange Cassidy stuff. I thought everybody else, everything else might be great. And I didn't even care about NXT because it didn't exist two weeks ago. Uh, but if FTR and Lucha Bros. <sighs> so you're really down on this, uh, was it, eight man tag match, so FTR and Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros and Butcher and the Blade. Yeah. I'm really excited for this match. I think it could be an absolute belter. I don't like Bucks, but I know that they can work when they need to. Butcher and Blade have a good look. Uh, Love FTR. FTR Lucha Bros to me spells disaster, man. Or it could be absolutely fantastic if they get it right. They've got real life heat though. Like FTR hate Lucha Bros because Lucha Bros don't know the fucking rules of tag team wrestling. How are, how are the staunch advocates of actual tag team wrestling supposed to wrestle the, the guys that FTR and what FTR represents despise? It it's it's not a storyline. Like, but you know, you know, real life became the gimmick, right? Chris Jericho came out saying that the Lucha Brothers don't care about holding the rope and doing the tags, so they turned that into the gimmick that Lucha Brothers spit in the face of American wrestling. They don't give a fuck. I just hope that this isn't the beginning of the end of FTR already. Like- nah, it won't be. It'll be great. Okay. We'll see. I mean, on the cards, it looks like NXT is going to win again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I, I think, sadly, I don't want to call the death knell on Fighter Fest 2020, but whatever AEW does, and even if they pull some great stuff out of out of their bag... I don't think anything is going to compare to Adam Cole versus Keith Lee. It's just no, that's- that match is going to be great. Like regardless of any chicanery around it, or whatever happens, I don't think AEW have got anything on their card that gets anywhere near that point. That match is going to be great. And if they pull it off right, the street fight with Kanis Array and my Yim could also be great. It also could be bad though. This is where AEW really needs to pull it out because... NXT's got a great main event and everything else that they have for night two has been put together on night one. I think AEW would have won if they had a crowd. Uh, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy would have blown the roof off if there was a crowd. So would have the eight-man tag match. 
Uh, so would have Lance Archer and Joe Janela. That would have done really well with an AEW crowd. But without the crowd, I feel they're going to fall a bit short and NXT might do better. If there's any silver linings to this lack of crowd, I think at the very least, if anybody's actually watching an AEW, it's showing them bare-facedly all of the terrible shortcomings that they currently have because they don't have that crowd reaction they they usually have a crowd reaction to mask any issues that they they are having whereas now a, a segment's going to fall on its ass if it does and they need to realize that the some things they're doing wrong over and over again they usually don't see because they've got a rabid crowd that cheer anything regardless whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger hopefully they learn that hopefully Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Tell that to Vince Luther. So next week, we'll be talking about the Wednesday Night War Part 2. And that's probably it, because this one went ages. Yeah, I think next week we should probably go a little bit more into how the years, not necessarily in detail, but how the years have been, who's making the stars, where the storylines are going, who's had a better coronavirus. All right, cool. Nice. And then the week after, we'll jump on the other stuff that we mentioned last week. The ECW stuff. Cool, man. All right. Man, that was three hours. That was a, that was a pay-per-view. 